Mink. Yeah, Jessica had it for a, a prop on a Halloween costume. They're so small. It Back takes in the so day. They've uh, they've come back to Toronto Island. Mix? Yeah, I was out on uh, the Leslie Spit area, and um, we were walking along the shoreline, and amongst the muskrats, there was mix. <laughs> I'm not sure how to differentiate them, which I should learn because I'm in the process of maybe developing ideas for this web series. Mm-hmm. Which I would be in, like on the camera. Basically, like city girl in northern Ontario exploring nature. Yes. Yes. So today I was writing about like things I'd always wanted to do, like kill my own food. <laughs> but is that just like a horrible exoticization of, or like justification? I put them on my face. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I can hear the music. And myself. Oh shit, Jesse. This is an operation. How's my hair? This feels very prepared. There's snacks and machinery. I just mm. thought I was coming over here to hang out. Oh, I feel it. I feel it. Right? That's the bass. Yeah, my deep voice. <laughs> I've been trying to work on my Michael Caine accent, but it's not happening. It's yeah. time to fall in love. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I was curious, like, uh, if you'd done a podcast before. Yes, I did one podcast that I don't think is no longer an operation called maybe Pop Comedy Podcast. It was Catherine McCormick's, and it was really fun. Mm -hmm. But something happened with the recording, and they never used it. Oh it was shit! That's happened to me before. The world's most brilliant conversation about the Kardashians that ever took place, <laughs> but it's gone. <laughs> And I did last year the Crimson Wave podcast, mm -hmm. which was, I don't, have you heard that one? No. It's really fun. Every week they do a podcast episode speaking to mostly women and some men about periods. <laughs> it's like a whole menstrual cycle <laughs> podcast with two female comics. And do they edit it down to a, a snappy 20 minutes or something? Or no, are they it's able like to? 40 minutes. <laughs> able to get nearly an hour on menstruation? Oh, oh yeah. Every week. Right. Because I guess over the course of your life, you have many, many stories that could happen on a period cycle. Right, because it's monthly. Mm -hmm. So every month there's a new opportunity. <laughs> but that was a super fun podcast to record because I could have talked to them for hours. Like yeah. when does somebody sit you down and ask you about this thing that mm -hmm. happens to your body all the time that nobody wants to talk about that is filled with comedy and horror? Oh, totally. Yeah. Todd used to have the same theory about uh, pooing. He'd always ask girls yeah. about pooing, and then they would love it. They would love the question. What a charmer. Because yeah. it's, it's been, like you said, the, <laughs> the stories have been building up, and it, there's just never a context where it seems appropriate. Until, you have all the stories, and you want to tell them. Todd. I think that we tip, uh, th the culture tips when we turn about 65, because all old people talk about is aches and pains and poo and all of the, the stuff that they've never been able to share over yeah. the years it's a it's new community well do but my parents are in their late 60s they're not there yet mm -hmm. and my grandma's 90 and she's not there nice. i think there's well she wears like chanel you know yeah they're classy she's classy 
Yeah. I'm from a different breed. They're already my parents are old, like barely sixty, and they've already they've already got there. Really? <laughs> yeah. Maybe they should talk to my parents. Listen them up. Yeah, they should go on. Uh, they should take them on vacation or something. Or speaking tour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd watch that. But yeah, I thought I thought uh, when you started your love letters project that it was going to be a segue into late night radio, where people could tune in and hear your sultry voice, <laughs> kind of like sultry. a Dan Savage thing, except more romantic. I would love to do that. You know, because Dan Savage is, is is it's a good show, but um, you know, it's all about sex, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of mechanical stuff mm -hmm. about sex. It'd be cool to have a show where like fourteen year olds call in and they say you know i i am so in love with jennifer in my class and i don't know how to how to tell her that kind of thing i would love that <laughs> i would have no advice for them but maybe there could be some way where i could search my like encyclopedia of love letters that i've collected and mm -hmm. give them advice based on one of those letters <laughs> you get the random generator button yeah I'm just like, oh, that one doesn't apply. But I gave this, I was part of a little panel once with the after school series where I, w I was taking the position of love and partnership and being an advocate for that. And Michael Cobb, you know him, he wrote this big book on singleness and advocating for singleness. Mm -hmm. So we were on this panel together. He's like super smart and wrote a PhD thesis about this. And I'm just like a <laughs> girl with daisies in her hair collecting love letters. <laughs> and it was at uh, one of the long winter events. I think you were even there. It was a big... Oh yeah, I was there. A I whole, was on a different level. Yes, there was all the levels. Mm -hmm. And But in the front row of this big room we were in, and talking about all this stuff and relationships and love and sex, there was like the youth in the front row because it was an all ages event. Mm -hmm. And they just drilled me. They're like, how do you think love works for polyamory? Because we're really, I'm like, you're a teen. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Why do you know what that is? That's a lot. Mm -hmm. So I had nothing to give. So I may need to, maybe they should host the show. I did. I think it's totally backwards. You know, we associate kids as, as being the ones you got to shelter and stuff because they're not mature enough to be thoughtful about things. But I remember when I was that age and I was more thoughtful than I am now because you're less busy. All kids do is That's sit true. around and think about stuff. That's true. And then true. they go to school and they think about stuff. And then they hang out with their friends and they think about stuff. I, I think that yeah. adults are, we get into the, this grind, right? Where we have routine mm -hmm. and jobs and stuff and... Um, you get focused on on abstract things like your bank account number and, and things, and there's less time for experimenting with polyamory. And stuff. <laughs> yes, I had all the time in the world before, just didn't use it in that way. But I used to, like when I was in my 20s, when I thought I was busy, mm -hmm. when I was studying religion during my undergraduate degree, I thought I was really busy writing papers and things, but I had infinite time. Sure. And I was like meditating every morning with a group of people. And then we'd cook breakfast and talk about our meditation. That's what I did instead of polyamory. Mm -hmm. And there was all the time. And I really, really miss it. Like I miss that space to be able to think about things. Maybe you're right. Maybe so do you, you remember the, the finer points of the, of the debate? Like what's the basic side when people talk about the advantages of being single? You just have more time to kind of know yourself or, or what it is. What's well, I think, and you should really interview him. This is going to be apologies in advance. It, what I took from this brilliant man was, you know, that the position, it's more like the culture of singleness is really criticized. Oh, okay. So singleness is a problem to solve hmm. with partnership. Right. In a very specific way. Mm -hmm. So that if you choose to be single or that if you are single, that you can't, 
like occupy your own creative space and have a fulfilled life. To me, it just extends into the same problem of, <clears throat> excuse me, of like women who choose to not be mothers. Right. And you're just like, not a full picture of a woman. And how can you know what womanhood is? Or the worst is when a woman says to me, like, I never knew what love was. Like, I didn't know love <laughs> until I had a baby. Mm -hmm. That's nice. And super insulting at the same time. That means you can never know love either. Because you can never pass a baby through you. Right. Right. Yet. I remember yeah. you made the same point a, a few years ago when you said uh, there's other ways to have children in your life. You know what I mean? Like if you do a mentor thing or mm -hmm. if I became a big brother or whatever. Yes. I was in a heavy <laughs> phase of exploring that because I was dating someone who had a kid <laughs> and a vasectomy. So, but that was good. Like it was good for me to think about that and explore it and to see the pushback from women in my community. Just like how will you ever know your true self? Mm. as a woman mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's the same thing with singleness yeah it's like a like a gross rash we're trying to solve right and everything is exacerbated by facebook i imagine because there's just <laughs> waves and waves of baby photos and and bumps and an engagement photos <laughs> they're the worst like delight <laughs> denim jeans and a white shirt and hugging from behind i give it a year well, yeah. <laughs> sorry listeners yeah you're doomed. Yeah. yeah. It is. Facebook makes it worse, but it can also, that like how I just criticized that, there's like a superiority. Right. That can also happen. It plays with your ego, really. It just like bounces your ego around like a fucking cat and mouse, mm -hmm. where either you're not looking at anything mm -hmm. and you're just scrolling to fill the void of your life, or you're, you're <laughs> engaged in deep self-hatred. Right. Or you feel better than somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not healthy. Any of those things are not good. I don't think and I don't like it from the, the point of view of uh, like I wouldn't I would never buy a house and then like post photos of the thing mm -hmm. or like my new car, you know, showing it off because I just know so many people from different sides of life and, and socioeconomic tears. Right. And you'd it's go called like, sensitivity. No. Yeah. It's like, don't show off the car. You know, you can send... It, we have avenues for it, right? Mm -hmm. You have texting. You have uh, email that's much more direct. Mm -hmm. Share it with the, the other people that you know won't feel insecure when they see your... Yeah, it's strange. I don't know. I don't know about Facebook. I don't know about all of that. That kind of personal sharing... And I wonder where it comes from. I mean, I do it sometimes, too. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I do it about, but I'm sure I could dissect that if I wanted to. But not a lot. Like, I use it for more shameless self-promotion. Oh, totally. That's that's yeah. uh, that's our... Those are our children. Mm. Our idea children. <laughs> I have had that argument. <laughs> our idea children new podcast instead of idea grave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah much less morbid. Idea babies. <laughs> like garbage pail kids. <laughs> I wonder what the feedback is, too. I, I wish there was um, a secret anonymous surveys you could do about your Facebook posts mm. where people could anonymously say, like, we'd actually like to see more baby photos from you. Yes. We don't like any of it. They're on the other side of it. They yeah. only want the baby photos. They don't want any of the, the show business. I think that people <laughs> probably feel that about me. Like my mom. Yeah. Or my grandma. But there's some baby photos I like. Like for friends who live far away, I think it's really nice. But I have one friend who had a kid and now the little girl is probably two or three 
and he has never posted a photo mm. of his child. So people old uh, news. Yeah, he just doesn't do it. He's like, well, she didn't. She doesn't know about that. So I'm not that. I'm not going to put her face all over the internet because I don't sure. want to. It's like my private life. Yeah, and that's good. It. I think it's great, but it infuriates some people. I didn't even know that so and so had a kid. How come he didn't tell us? I'm like, because he doesn't have to. He lives in another country and he made a person and it's none of your fucking business. Mm -hmm. Can I swear on your podcast? Oh, you sure can. It's all swearing. (laughs) It's all swearing, chewing noises, whiskey drinking. Like Um, my my mouth, like from the salt (laughs) of the cashews. That's gross. You can hear it right in the headphones. (laughs) Yeah. Take that, anybody on the fucking Orbitrack. Ew. (laughs) The gym. Mm -mm. No, thank you. Why do people post pictures of themselves at the gym on the internet? Well, that I think is anybody who's in your inner circle and is trying to make the same New Year's uh, resolution <laughs> to get buff. Yeah, um, that's a that's a positive form of shaming. I think you know you want to well, do what other people are doing, and then you see you know so and so's at the gym. You're like, fuck, I got to get ripped too. Right, it's the ego mm-hmm. or motivation, the positive side or alignment. Alignment. The tribe that's nice. is alignment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The buff tribe. I'm not a member of that tribe. So when you were doing your opposite side, I guess you're in the you were advocating coupling. I or? don't really know. I think I was ad- I think I was brought in to advocate love. Right. And Michael's position was not anti-love by any means, but we were sort of playing up these different roles. I think based on the work that we do. The hobby that I do, the hobby that I have, and the work that he does, to be clear. But, yeah, I think my my role was also that of the romantic. Right. And of the possible and of the fun of falling in love mm-hmm. and making allowance for that, too. That makes a lot more sense to me. The, di- the, the separation makes more sense to me. Yeah. If it was a debate about um, the... Because you could extend that even to family stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's, to me, <clears throat> I have a lot of um, friends that some of them are from um, really tight family networks where they're very, very close to their parents and they have dinner with them every week. Mm-hmm. And um, any partner that they have that's long term is going to be joining this unit, yeah. right? Whereas I have other friends and I'm kind of the same way. Like my family's all a bunch of lone wolves, mm-hmm. right? So I can totally have a, a debate um, or I would be pulled in a, a lot of different directions about which is, is more favorable. Because th- you, th- you think about like something like tradition, right? Um, traditions give a lot of people a sense of meaning when it comes to the world. Mm-hmm. And um, holidays and uh, routine that break up the year and make them feel like they've got a sense of place and um, community. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas... The person who doesn't have that and is more of a lone wolf kind of going through the universe looking for fame and fortune and adventures, they're their own person to recreate, right? Like you're not going to get a lot of um, static from family members and stuff about your job choice or um, who you're dating, any of that stuff. All of the politics kind of evaporate. So there's like a freedom to it. Hmm. But on the other hand, it's like lonely or on holidays and you kind of those those core family members as much of a pain in the butt as they can be sometimes they're also the people that are going to encourage you or celebrate when you do something cool you hope 
I don't know. Yeah. But does that lone wolf not make like his or her own rhythms and traditions? You find other lone wolves and then you can start building oh, right. then you have, like, your a own family. new Neo chosen family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I'm lucky because I think I have both. Mm-hmm. I mean, I come from a tribe, to be clear. Like a tribe, a lot of loud women, some men who are less loud, but mostly loud too. And it is that. It's like an obsessive... Somebody told us once that we have like a like a Kennedy complex as a family. <laughs> <laughs> We're always so self-congratulatory and... You know, it ha- that has its own wonders and its own just traps. Mm-hmm. But it does provide that. It really does provide this, like, benchmark of celebration and of mourning and of acknowledgement. And we pull at each other for it and we also show up for it. But I, so I can't, I used to like to think that I was the lone wolf kind of person because it seems more romantic and mysterious and intriguing. To me, like, that sounds so attractive, just Mm. like making your own way in the world and, you know, carving out your own rituals and the seasons are my, you know, Russia shunna. (laughs) Yeah, why not? You start to celebrate all the holidays? Yeah, you're just like pan-celebratory or anti-everything. And every year on New Year's Eve, you just go to the top of the mountain and burn a single can. I don't know what lone wolves to do. I really don't. (laughs) But it, it has always seemed so attractive to me. And the problem with being in a tribe is that sometimes you forget that you also need that like solitude and to come back, you know, being such an extrovert and so social and um, coming from such a tribe. I figured out a way to like regenerate the energy mm-hmm. pretty quickly. I just need like a couple hours at home and then I can, and I'm like, can, can yeah, I'm emerge good. again. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually getting more again. though. Right. Maybe I'm becoming more of a lone wolf. But not far from the pack. I'm just like a lone wolf with my own cabin near the rest of the tribe. Like Walden. Yes. <laughs> Walden was only a few miles outside of town. That's all he needed. Yeah. I'm like that. Yeah. What is that? It sounds like somebody's dragging garbage cans, but it's been amplified by all 10 or 15 decibels by the microphones. I thought it was an airplane coming into your apartment. The cops. So are you still active with the Love Letters project? Are you still receiving stuff? In my heart, I'm very active (laughs) uh, with it. (laughs) Um, I am receiving things not from the internet. Like I launched it, I don't know what, like a year and a half, a chunk of time. It was a while ago. It was a while ago. And that was like a big effort. And it was really exciting. And it was so much fun to launch it and host a storytelling show with stories about you know with people's love letters i had a blast and then i stopped looking at it for a really long time Mm -hmm. very very slow creatively it seems it takes me a really long time not because i'm carefully thinking about what it all means (laughs) or maybe i am somewhere in me but mostly i'm just slow right i'm slow to action Mm. so the site is launched it looks beautiful. People engaged with it a lot when it was first launched, and I got a lot of beautiful feedback in some letters then in December of a couple years ago, I guess. And then I haven't really touched it, except for I put up like a sort of quick and dirty installation love letters booth at the Graven Feather Gallery on Queen. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be up during Nuit Blanche, and it was wild. Like, So I set up eight envelopes with these different sort of themes of letters that I'm collecting, like person, place, object, whatever. And they were stuffed. 
Wow. And the, the installation was up for, I mean, it's ins- I call it an installation to make myself like feel like a part of an artist's community. <laughs> but it was eight envelopes taped to a wall. Right. That's <laughs> right. all you need. Yeah. It was like, it's really, I just believe in simplicity. I don't. Like, I obviously wanted to cover it with like ribbons and balloons, but I don't know how to make that look nice. Craven Feather's nice on its own. It's so nice on its own. There's other people who knew how to do things with colors and stuff. So I just had this little booth and people could write love letters and it was on carbon paper so they could keep a copy of it and submitted it if they wanted to. And I have a giant bag full of them that I need to transcribe and photograph and put on the site. Holy moly. Summer project. And some of them are awesome. Some of them are anonymous letters to other people that were in the space. So those are Mm. really fun. Some kids wrote some, which I really liked. Some of them are really silly and sweet. And then every, this is the thing with the Love Letters Project. It's like hundreds of letters have come in over the years. And a lot of them are what you might expect. So I don't post all those, not because they're not beautiful, but the point of the project is to sort of expand and remember that love letters are big and strange and awkward and messy and all those different things. Right. So... I need to sift through those and see what the next round is. And when I was in Paris last year, I also spent a lot of time in flea markets combing through giant boxes of old postcards. So I have a lot to pick through there, like old, beautiful, cursive writing in French. So that those are going to take me longer to figure out what to do with them. But they were awesome. So you're you're imagining that um, it's it's not a uh, it's not a time uh, dependent project, right? So you can just go forever and ever. Yeah. Building this up as, as kind of a, a side yeah. empire. Yes, a, a, yes, a side empire. Mm-hmm. It just gets to exist. And if I were a more organized person with my creative projects, I might find somebody who wanted to work on it with me, who was able to take the giant amount of love letters that I have, the, the new ones, you know, and photograph them, put them on the site, transcribe them, and, you know, help push them out into the world of social media and all that kind of stuff. That's one thing that I get sort of stuck on mm-hmm. because I do lots of promotion of my personal work and the work of the organization I work for and of my friends. I'm like, I, am I going to start, like, feeding people love letters on the internet again? Like, I, my, my face feels gross about it, but I'm like, who wouldn't want that? <laughs> but I don't know if I want to do that. Like, yeah. so I don't know. You know, you said earlier you're trying to find what the internet needs from you and... You know, does the internet need a love letter? Sure, like every place does. Right. But how I give that out to the world and how that message gets out, I'm not sure. Because I am exhausted from being online all the time. Yeah, me too. I'm exhausted by it. Like, I can't. The so, noise level has gotten to extreme amounts. Yeah. I mean, it used to be when we first started um, fooling around on internet projects back in probably 2003, mm-hmm. I guess, when we first got our email addresses and started passing around meme videos and stuff. Um, it was it was a, a manageable amount of noise. There was like four or five memes that would come along throughout the year. All your base are belong to us. Mm-hmm. Um, various chain letters. Um, you're mostly just connecting with your friends. And now it seems like every person in the world is coming online and they've all got something to share. And there's no way you can ever keep up with it. So you're going to have to start editing down. But that's the last thing we've been wanting to do because the internet's been encouraging us to take on everything. It's like, it's the opposite trend, right? Mm -hmm. You need more than ever to start focusing in on just your core tribe of people that you care about. But the internet is so tempting. It's got like every piece of information in the world you can learn. And, you know, 
Yeah, it's like online shopping. You're just like, it's so easy. Just add into my basket all day long. And then I have to edit it down. Like, it's a really crass example, but it feels like that. It's just mm-hmm. like everything is so... It, it feels like it has the draw of capitalism and all the things I don't like about that. Mm. And with love letters, it is it had to exist online for me because it's like a clean, organized way of having this kind of interactive encyclopedia available. So lovely. I get it. I love the website. Such brilliant people designed it. That was a really fun project in itself. Mm-hmm. But seeing it alive at Grave and Feather, I was like, oh, right. This is where it needs to live. Yeah. So even when I post those letters, some people might find their own letter up there. Great. And they'll look at it and they'll share it with their friends. And 37 seconds later, that moment will be gone. Right. Right. And so it's the in-person stuff that I need to figure out more of because I still see I still have a spark for the project. Mm -hmm. Like I'm had just a resurgence of my own writing in the past few days. And that's felt awesome. I'm like, oh, right. It's from that place that this comes. So where do I put it? That's not just the internet because I don't want to do, I'm, I'm maxed, man. Totally. And is that, I mean, is that the right place? I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. And this summer I want to work on it some more. I guess you could do it annually. Like the, like upload things annually. You could do the live event thing annually. Yes, absolutely. Every four months or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or, I thought about doing like a seasonal one, mm-hmm. like a yeah. Now that I'm here more, because I was spending a lot of time in the past like year and a half since the launch away, I was away in in Paris a lot. So now it's now I'm here, mm-hmm. and so I can do that and I can like commit to that. And so that being living abroad half time was also an easy escape. I'm like, oh, I'm just far too intercontinental to host an event. It's <laughs> the worst kind of person. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it ties into the the live storytelling stuff. If you could do some sort of themed night similar to a repeating thing like tours, but mm-hmm. it's, it's focused around just love stories um some sort of live podcast maybe or some sort of and then you could have the envelope stuffing going on as just part of that yeah that evening i've thought um, about it like it worked really well the night of the launch i had four storytellers and they told great stories. Mm-hmm. And they one of them read a letter that he wrote, and it was completely embarrassing and brutal and amazing. You know, all the things. And people loved it. Like, 100 people showed up to the Love Letters launch. And not just my tribe. Mm-hmm. Like, three other people who I had never met <laughs> showed up to the launch. Yeah. But it was, you know, storytelling people. People just want to keep hearing stories. Yeah, totally. There's no... There's no um shortage of that um the only thing that i think would make your event extra special is that the love stories would be the most vulnerable kind of of live storytelling and so i think that it might have a a kind of sublimeness Mm -hmm. that you don't get consistently from something like the moth right um because there's there's screwballs like me that get up and they want to you know just tell jokes or whatever or just you know they have anecdotes that talk about adolescent porn yeah exactly uh well there's there's a love angle to that story that was a great story though <laughs> um yeah i like that i like that focus because you you've uh you've stumbled upon um one of those great kind of uh, steve reich had this great quote in his documentary where he said it's funny how a simple idea can fill up a life hmm. and i think that you know that's it's just I think it's got legs, that idea. Thanks. 
Well, it, I mean, it works. Like, that's what becoming... I had the idea for the Love Letters Project before I ever stepped on stage to tell a story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when we were doing the writing group. Mm-hmm. Is that for, You were there that first night that I told the story. Yep. And I understood something different about how people want to consume culture. Yeah, And totally. they want to do it in person. Mm-hmm. And they want to do it without their fucking phones. And they want to they just... They need to do it without their phones. They need, it makes them feel human. Because makes, they can't put them down. They're addicted. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. every so often, you just got to yank it away. Shove it in the toilet. Like, no one is going to watch television. I only visit you <laughs> once every seven months. Yes. You're going to turn off the television. You're going to pay attention to me. That's right. <laughs> and people do that. They come together to discipline themselves to have a human experience. That's like the ugliest way of talking about live storytelling. <laughs> yeah. And the love, like hearing people be vulnerable and then experiencing the audience vulnerability at the same time mm-hmm. is a fucking blast. It is like falling in love because you're like, this feels bad and good and scary and comfortable. Yeah. You know, and the I mean, I wonder how a Love Letters regular event would work. I would want their to be one about anger. Like, I think the angry love letters are really good, but it might be a hard event to attend, you know? The heartbreak. The heartbreak. Those are such good letters. Yeah, anger and heartbreak are some of the best ones. And, like, new, new relations Mm -hmm. often bring good love letters. There's some good ones on the site about that. I've never been able to write the, the, the kind of breakup letter. I don't understand how people are able to vent that way. You know? How do you vent? Uh, I don't. I kind of, if I'm mad at somebody, I'll just get all quiet and disappear for a while. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Jesse must be mad. I haven't seen him in weeks. (laughs) Right. Wow. That's what lone wolves do. Sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I've I've never really understood. I I was totally the the drama in high school was totally uh, alien to me Mm -hmm. when people would have high school breakups which are nothing right you were going out for two and a half weeks how could you possibly be so upset about this you know slamming their fists down i think they get they must get it from television it's absolutely from the tv yeah this is this is what uh, breakups are supposed to be like we expect them to be these dramatic things and then yeah they play them out that fucked me up when i actually started to have relationships and heartbreak because keep going i'm just gonna get a coffee yeah because you know, I grew up watching um, the influential television program, Beverly Hills 90210. And <laughs> it, like, w- did you ever watch that program? No. Oh, yeah, obviously. Right. You're like a cult, a man of culture. Yeah, it dominated the airwaves. Couldn't stop it. So when... My friends had the, the Dylan McKay hair and the... Yeah. Neon clothes. Yeah, Varney, yeah. All that. Did th- that hot coffee just come out of the fridge? It's freezing cold coffee. I understand. It had a little steam. That's why I was wondering. I thought you had a magic fridge. Anyways, I don't know if you remember the pivotal moment. There was one scene that I never forgot when Dylan and Brenda and Kelly, there was some like love triangle there, and they were walking in some park, and Brenda was wearing a vest, of course, and jeans... <laughs> And they, she just fucking lost it at them. And she was just <laughs> livid. And I remember finding that so attractive. Whoa. Yeah. I was like, oh, 
I feel you, girl. That's super, like, yeah, that's not okay what they did when you were away, I don't know, in France or something, like, studying <laughs> acting, I believe it was. And I remember that drama was, like, I was I was thinking, oh, that's what, that's what breakups look like. Okay, and it just stuck in my head. The same way that I thought that college would be, like, Hillman College <laughs> from the Cosby Show, which I actually looked up on the internet to see if I could attend when I was in high school to discover it was fake. Hillman, not real. Um, and then I remember my first breakup. I was only 21 when I had my first relationship. And it was actually okay. Like oh, there was yeah, heartbreak. And it was, it was, I was very, very sad, but it wasn't dramatic because there was a lot of love and respect. And mm-hmm. the TV, she doesn't teach us that. Yeah. No. Make for boring television. I really enjoyed my time with you. You as well. I am glad you are following the path that is best for you. High five. High five. <laughs> Let's take a bit of time apart, but I hope we can remain friends. Also, if you date anybody else interesting, give them my number. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm glad you're moving in with my cousin, which is what <laughs> happened to me. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, they had a great time. We were all friends. Like, It doesn't show you that on the TV. Mm-hmm. No. I had had my heart broken so many times by the time I had a long-term relationship that uh, it was old hat. It was old hat. I mean, it still hurt, but I mean, uh, I knew that I would get over it. There That's was... a nice lesson to learn young. <laughs> like, I, I started, um, I remember the first girl I had a crush on was in grade, grade one. It was, uh, I had a crush on Jessica Pyringer because I liked her long blonde hair. Classic. Yeah. And uh it, you don't even know what you would do with a girlfriend at that age. You just know you're that seven. <laughs> you just you just like the way they smell. Yeah. And they make you calm when you look at them. True. Like a rolling river. And uh, you know, later on you I had a crush on uh, this girl Miriam and she didn't like me. Mm. And I knew she didn't like me as uh as much as a you know, kid in grade four can. Mm. But um, I, I tried to keep, I, I kept on trying to think of like schemes to get on her radar. Like, and for some reason I thought like emulation was the best way. Yes, I've had that thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like she had kind of like reddish hair. Mm-hmm. So I thought if my hair was kind of reddish, then it would be an, an obvious match, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So um, my mom had like this spray on like hair color stuff under her sink. It was like a colored mousse. And I would put, like, the moose in my hair, like, subtly and build it up over time, right? And I would go wow. to school like that. And eventually people started to notice. And then I knew the game was afoot. You know, as soon as somebody points out, it's like, your hair looks kind of red. That looks stupid. And you go, like, <laughs> wash it out in the bathroom, right? And then I found out we were doing, like, a genealogy type of thing. And uh, the teacher was pooling or uh, going through the class and telling everybody to to uh, talk about their background, their family background. And she said she, she was Dutch or something. So I said that I was Dutch too. Yes. <laughs> That's incredible. The, the hair color mousse is remarkable. Uh-huh. Wow. I never did anything quite like that. But I do understand the emulation. I don't know. Maybe that's like a, a childhood thing. Or no, because like stupid internet dating sites try and do the same thing, right? What do you have in common? I'm like, why do I want to date somebody who's like me exactly? Exactly. That's horrendous. I know. Horrendous. I spend it all the time with myself and sometimes I'm just, I really would like a break from self. But then imagining another person like me who has all the same interests, especially it's the interests. Mm -hmm. 
why would I want to date someone who has all the same interests as me? Then I wouldn't learn anything new. Yes, yes. I also like Punch Drug Love. It's a fine film. Right. I thought he Come did back. great in a more serious role. Me as well. Like, that's not fun. You don't challenge me at all. Yes. I just find that so strange that that's how we've discovered matches. Mm-hmm. I don't get it at all. It's because the, we're working with dumb algorithms, right? And you've got a lot of people that are trying to make a business out of something that's an art. Yes. So. And that's physical. Mm-hmm. It's physical. Yeah. I tried Tinder for the first time recently. Oh, I have, I've never been on it. What's oh, it like? Oh, it's uh, the decline of humans. <laughs> like, I thought the Kardashians were the signal to the aliens that they that the humans are ready to be invaded. Like when I discovered what the Kardashians were, I was just like, what is that? Why is that a thing that, you know, and I just imagined all these aliens being like, ah, they're ready. They're dumb enough now. But I was wrong. It's Tinder. You just sit there and you're just like, no, no, no. And it's, you don't even you know. Go, you swipe left or right depending on yeah, whether you, you like see them it? or not. Yeah. Yeah. Show me yeah. what's up. It's, um, I got to see these, uh, does it does it give you just a random sampling of of available men or is it kind of uh... You get to choose their ages. I think I have it on here more for sport now and mostly for conversations like these for my friends who aren't single and somebody told me to try it. When I was in New York, I'm like, "Oh, that's like low risk, you know?" Yeah. It's low risk because I'm there. <laughs> because I'm there and I don't know anybody. And I got a cold when I arrived in New York. So I'm like, I'll just stay inside in Brooklyn and swipe around. And I was like, this is fun for a minute. And then I just delete. No, I deleted it and then reloaded it for fun for Uh, like sport. I deleted it when somebody was just wanting to chat. Like people, then you can talk with them and they just. Okay. Yeah. So if you both. So here, here's a picture of somebody. Vin Diesel. That's Vin Diesel. Yeah, it's Vin Diesel. So if I like Vin Diesel, which I do not, (laughs) then I click this heart or I swipe right. If Vin Diesel likes me. Or is one more powerful than the other? They're the same power. Don't be so complicated. (laughs) A hamster could use Tinder. I might swipe right for a hamster. But (laughs) and then if you're matched, like if, if Vin Diesel likes me as well. Yeah. Then we're matched, and then we can chat with each other within the app. It's and, activated. Yeah, and guess what happens? Three shades of nothing. <laughs> because people, they just write you, the men, they write, hey, sup. Sup. You want to hook up? Sup. Sup. You what up? is that? Sup. I'm like, I don't know. What? No, I no. Can I explain it to you? Yes, please. Okay, so there's an arc that happens, right? <laughs> like, guys are in uh, elementary school and in high school. And we're balls of emotion and all of that. And we desperately want somebody to tell us how to talk to girls right. and, and how everything works. Mm. And we get very confused and very crestfallen because it's actually very simple, right? There's pheromones between people. And when you go up to somebody and you like the way they smell, you hit it off. And suddenly all of the things that they say to you are interesting you could have absolutely nothing in common with them, but you're like, I like how different they are, you know? They they know about all these interesting things like MMA and, uh, <laughs> you know, model rockets and stuff, and I really want to learn about that part of the world. Yes. And then it's like you go out, and eventually those pheromones wear off over a number of years. Suddenly, all of the things that you used to find interesting and novel, they become obnoxious to you. 
and you go like fucking model rocket sully talks about an mma like what have i ever liked that we're totally not compatible i'm out of here you know but there's a chemical thing that's going on between yes. people um and so I, I feel like this is fine, but it should just be random. It should you just like press the random button and some random person shows up at your house. You go like, hey, shows up at your house. Yeah, you just like I'm gonna meet somebody tonight, and we could become friends, or we might not like each other. Or but you know what? how else that could work? A party. Leaving your house. <laughs> <laughs> this is my whole argument against online dating. I'm like, yeah. I spend all day. I work from home on the internet, and then what? I clock out at five move four feet to another part in my apartment and date. <laughs> I'm like, or I could put pants on and leave my house. Right. So, okay. It, it does, does it work like, cause I know that there's a grinder thing, right? This is, is based on grinder. Yeah. Okay. The grinder thing doesn't have like a satellite feed or something, or like some sort of homing beacon where it you does. can see people who are like open to hookups or like open to well, chat it's geography. So if I click on Vin Diesel, it tells me that he is eight kilometers away from where we are right now <laughs> and that he was active six minutes ago. Oh, they must be shooting uh, Fast and Furious 8. They <laughs> in are <Ross's> in Ross's <laughs> But check Mesa. I heard about another app. This blows my mind. That's called, I don't know, like Meet Me Today or something. It's not called that. But it's another one of these GPS-based apps. Great. That is... So if I'm, my app is on, I have it on my phone and it's like running in the background, wasting my battery or whatever the fuck. And I'm walking around New York City and I pass someone and I'm like, Boom. I'm like, oh, who's that tall drink of water? And I open my app yeah. and I think it does something like where I can, if he's also on it, it connects us. It's misconnections live action. Oh, that's good. That's much better than the Tinder it's swipe in the much photos. better. Yeah. But it's. I'm like, you're, you can't, like, I don't want this to control my pheromones. Do you know what I mean? It's horrible. Well, I, what I think is nice about it, right? Ugh. If I, if you and I are sitting in a restaurant, right, yeah. and I feel like talking to you, it would be a more polite way of, of um, asking if you're interested in, in talking, you know? Because some people don't want to be bothered. Or like you come up to them and you you say you try to start a conversation. You're like, actually, my cat just died and I'm very depressed and I don't want to be spoken to. Or I would you know. much I would I disagree. I would advocate for a society in which yeah, <laughs> all humans could approach each other if they wanted to talk each other to each other and then answer honestly. Yes. So you want to talk to me in a restaurant and my cat just died. And you come over and my instinct is like, fuck off. Like, I am sitting here with my friend crying about my cat. But because I was raised somewhat correctly, you come over. That's a nice gesture. Hey, it might be super nice to meet you another time, but my cat just died. So I really don't want to talk to any strangers. Good point. This, this is the second half of the thing I was going to say. So you have a lot of, like, high school guys that are um, very confused about how to talk to girls. And there's usually like some trauma early on where they fuck up, mm -hmm. you know, and they mistake the fact that like they had a blown opportunity to connect with, uh, with somebody that they like as being universal instead of like what they should interpret it as high school people are all crazy and emotional and, mm -hmm. and hormonal and stuff. And it's very hard to, um, 
connect with, make those deep relationships. It's very hard to be honest with somebody. It's very hard to be, uh, not be self-conscious in those situations. And I think that like they get, uh, you get crestfallen a little bit after you have those initial strikeouts. Mm -hmm. And then you go through a period in college where hookup culture starts up and you start to get into this idea that, uh, like I was saying with the pheromones, where like boys and girls like each other, they mm -hmm. just get together as long as you eliminate the awkward middle stages. Right. You know? And then you become an adult and, um, you know, some people will come out of, of that, that high school, that college thing with like really hardcore relationships where um, they develop all the emotional stuff after, but the intimacy only extends for, you know, that one significant other. And then I think that, yeah, you end up, I think that where the where the Tinder kind of like sup comments and stuff come from is that it's it's like a, a tied up insecurity about not wanting to say something that will scare somebody off. So they'd rather yeah. say nothing at all. Right. I don't think it's an insensitivity. Like people interpret it as being like a kind of caveman type of thing. Yes. But I think it's coming from a place of not wanting to be vulnerable. Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. Everything you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that, you know, we're talking about it in this really kind of heteronormative context, but that extends mm -hmm. to like all of the genders and all of the people. And the name is patriarchy. <laughs> like I was just talking about this this morning right. with my friend who has a three-year-old son. Mm -hmm. And... She's very conscious of just like, how do I make sure I raise a good man? <laughs> like, how can I tell him that it's okay to totally be into trucks and it's totally okay to cry at the movie and all of these things that we are like all of the things that lead to the tiny word of sup, you know, that also comes from patriarchy because you're not told how to communicate. You're not given permission mm. to say what it is you want, what it is that you need, what it is you're attracted to, and to be honest about it. You know, it's so, when Facebook first came out, I remember I wrote, I still had a, like a, I didn't even have a cell phone. I didn't have a cell phone for a long time. So I had a paper planner, you know, like an yeah. agenda. And when Facebook first came out and I, w and I was on it kind of late still, I would write a, just as an activity, like Ariane is, I, th I forget what, the, what it was at that time where you're supposed to write your status. Oh, right, right. And so I wrote my actual true status of self every day in my journal for a few months. I was like, Ariane feels complete and utter hopelessness. Ariane is underpaid but enjoys her work. Like all of these very, very, tr like, you know, ugly truths that I was feeling. I'm like, you can't put that on the Internet. But it's the same kind of thing. I'm like, what if we could? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to. It's not about oversharing with everybody. But it's about um, intimate sharing with trusted people. Mm-hmm. And you develop trusted friendships and relationships by taking the risk to give them a little bit of your true self to see how that will be received, you know? And I just had an experience recently with like a grown man. Like he's not in high school. He's not in the hookup stage and he's well into the life of being an adult male. And he like expressed something honestly. And I was like, oh yeah, all right. And he was like, what's happening? I'm like, well, you just said what it is that you needed to do today and I was okay with it and I really was and it was not a big deal but he was it was like this moment we were both having where we're like oh honesty yeah like it's so much simpler it's quicker it's like 
And I think for me, uh, it, it, it's made <clears throat> much more simple if you just, you wrap it in self-deprecation. Welcome to Judaism. You know? Yeah. Yes. If you, if you wrap it in self-deprecation, it doesn't sound like you're being needy. It doesn't sound like you're bragging. Yeah. It doesn't sound, it just say like, you know, this is what I want. And also with humor, like it doesn't always have to be self-deprecating. Like I, I do that. I mean, please, you know me. I do that all the live long day. Mm -hmm. Like any powerful statement that I have inside of myself just gets couched in like a lot of jokes and insecurity. But, you know, sometimes, rarely, when I'm able to actually just be truthful, it's revolting. It feels bad <laughs> in my bod, but it actually has greater rewards you know yeah. like you know when you're truly honest with some even about something small mm -hmm. like not even sex or relationships but when i was in new york a couple of weeks ago and i was invited to this brunch with this really lovely woman for her birthday cool yeah no she's great i've known her for a long time i'd love to celebrate her but i deeply didn't want to go right i wanted to walk around fort green by myself and look at the nice people and buy a new book and be by myself we were in a taxi together and I was about to like spin the lie. I was like, you know, this Saturday I may like have a super important like storytelling meeting or whatever at bullshit. And then I was just like, said, I was like, oh, I am so grateful that you invited me to brunch, but I really don't want to go because I'd like to spend the day by myself. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to celebrate with you another time. And she's a special, beautiful, wonderful friend. And she was like, well, that's wonderful what are you gonna do on your day by yourself i'm like this is very new yeah like imagine if all of the interactions were like that sometimes we have to make little lies like that's okay and it's it's funny how how strong the lie detector is in people right where you know Yo, you yeah. get that instinct where you want to be completely honest but then you hold back about 90 percent, and it doesn't work right you forget that vibe and oh, you go yeah. like oh mm, i, I give that vibe all the time are you kidding me <laughs> good lord I couldn't go all the way with it. No. In that garbagey TED talk I gave, the whole premise was um, tell, like, to tell true stories. But mm -hmm. the, my mathematical genius equation was that you only have to be 97% true. Oh, of course. Like, I can't tell the whole truth. Nobody wants to hear that. They want almost all of the whole truth. But with things like minor instances like that, of that example of brunch, was, that was completely liberating. Mm -hmm. It could have gone bad. Yeah. Could have gone real bad. But I knew who I was talking to, you know? And then she wrote me the next day being like, what did you do with your day with self? I'm like, I am being celebrated on your birthday for making a choice, like a totally selfish decision. It was wonderful. And it, it counts that you were with them in the cab. Yeah. Too. And you were saying this in person, right? Not over a fucking text. Yeah. Good gracious. Yeah. Imagine how that would read. I care about Terrible. you, but I really don't want to go to your birthday party. And then I she's wanna... thinking, she's on, she's on fucking Tinder. That's what's going on right, here. I'm just swiping my days away in Brooklyn <laughs> with zero results or joy. Yeah. Yeah. The weird thing, the only conversation I had with someone on Tinder, we were chatting. He didn't say sup as yeah. his intro. I was like, oh, a gentleman. Turns out he was not. He was like super sleazy. But I noticed because it's like this texting. You're, I hate texting anyway. So this is like a horrible platform for me. I don't enjoy the internet. I don't enjoy my cell phone. And I hate texting. Mm -hmm. And I like meeting people naturally in person. The analog revolution. Yes. I'm on it. And my day job is a communications director. I'm fucked. But, <laughs> and we were, you know, chatting this and that and like silly fit and whatever. Like, I don't know. It was like nothing. He had asked me like a truth or dare question or something. Truth or dare. And I was like, I like truth or dare. 
And then, of course, I was just like super PG-13 about it, the whole thing. He didn't, he, he was like pushing for, I think he just wanted like a chat room from the 90s. Right. But then I, because I was in conversation. He wanted to cyber. Totally. Is that the word, a verb? <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess he wanted to from cyber. From the 90s. Yeah, oh, yeah. You just, on the 90s in the chat boards, you just log on and say, want to cyber to everybody. And then they ask you your name, sex, and location, and then you <sighs> go for it. Cool. I never want to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I totally cybered with this guy on Tinder. It was super boring. But I noticed that I felt obligated to respond. Right. And when I didn't want to talk to him anymore, when he was getting, um, like, talking in a way that I didn't like, I felt like in my head I started to craft, like, an exit. Like a goodbye. Oh. Like a breakup, if you will. Yeah. In my head I was like, oh, you know, it's been nice to get to know you. No, it wasn't. Um, I really hope you have a good day. I don't care. Um, I appreciate that you're interested in talking sexy with strangers, but it's not something I'm interested. Like I was, this is what was happening in my head. Mm -hmm. This kind of social obligation to a person I've never met. Yeah. And I told my cousin that who's like an expert dater in New York. And she was like, oh, you just unmatch when you don't want to talk to someone anymore. Right. I was like. The old pro. Oh. Pro tip. Pro tip. But you I think what you did is humans. going to um, make uh, it's. It I think what you it, did I is going to make a little bit of a difference, though. But I didn't do it, Jesse. Oh, you didn't. You just thought it. I just thought it because it was freaking me out how much attention I was spending on this. See, I thought this was going to be a nice transition between your radical honesty in one scenario. It wasn't. I mean, I was radically honest with him. He tried to like sexy talk me. He's like, when was your last kiss? And I was like, it was with my ex-boyfriend and I don't want to talk about it. Oh. I could have said any number of things, right? Yeah. His response to that was, was it hot? <laughs> I was like, you're a bag nails. Does that make it better that I unmatched him? What am I going to engage in a deep processing moment with this stranger who just wants to like do it with himself at his desk. <laughs> I think you should totally message Vin Diesel. No. No, I'm deleting your prejudice, it. Your prejudice against his photo, he might be just a He might be the love of my life, and I'm swiping left and missing out. <laughs> garbage universe. Garbage, garbage universe. Yeah. I. It's funny when people... Um, they start to date types for a long extended period of time. Do you know anybody who's been dating like the same type of person? Like they break up with somebody and then when they get a new boyfriend or girlfriend, you're like, it's the same. You think you're dating same the same person, person as before. <laughs> what did you think? What yes. do you think this is going to turn out any different? Who is it? I don't know why we fall into types. And I, I think that the Tinder thing is going to make it worse because you can sort much more efficiently and get down to Do you mean the type physical type? Um, well, you can tell something about somebody's culture, too, by a photograph. Yes, that's true. You know, the tastefulness of it, how they're dressed. the Like if it's just their abs in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> what they're into. If they're at the club, like pouring champagne yeah. through a funnel, you're like, okay, I think I, I can think I know what to expect from this person. Right. But maybe we don't. Mm -hmm. That's my whole point. Right? Like, maybe you don't. Maybe that dummy with the champagne in the club in Vegas at his buddy's Maybe party. that was calculated. They're like, this is the kind of photo that I think is going to work, but I really am interested in having the day by myself. And Yeah, and, like, I adopt orphan bunnies and, <laughs> you know, raise them to give to sick kids. But I can't put that on the internet. You know, like, it's... We don't know. We don't know. And I... That's what really upsets me about this and why it's still on my phone is a curious like wonderment 
because it, I don't like it. It doesn't make me happy. And every now and again, I'm just like, you know, with my boss at work on Skype, we're just like swiping around. And mostly I use it for like comedic characters. Like I like to say the dude's <laughs> names out loud. And it's, I find it. I find that part entertaining. Is there is it totally stripped down? Is there a one sentence bio or anything? Yeah, you can that? write stuff. Sometimes people write things. A lot of the time they I've noticed men write their height. <laughs> I'm swiping left for Vin Diesel so we can see someone else. Ugh. Um. So this person writes, I am easygoing and enjoy a active lifestyle. I'm attracted to someone that likes to have fun, is loyal, loving. I'm already falling asleep and caring. I am searching for my other half, my partner in crime. Is this you, smiley face emoticon? Partner in crime. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm just... It would be much more interesting if he was an actual criminal. Yeah. <laughs> Portuguese, Leo. I like hockey, baseball. Like, it's just, I mean, I don't even know. And then how am I supposed to write my truths? I hate it. I hate it so much. I get rage blackouts if you want to know the truth. This is what Tinder is like. You just oh, okay. Let, let me Let me try. Go ahead. Swipe let around. Let me try. Okay. There's a, a fellow. Don't say their names. Uh, in an Obey hat. <laughs> besides some sort of, looks like a South American general with a gun. Yeah. His name's Liam. No, you um, can't say their names. It's not right. <laughs> I don't want to publicly shame people. Phil, Cameron, Claudio. Oh, he looks he looks like a mover and shaker. See nice at the club. Car. Oh, a video. A video. Holy moly! I've never seen oh, that it's, before. Oh, it's an advertisement. Oh, good. They've added advertisements to your feed. What am I supposed to buy? I don't know. It was a, I Alcohol? think it was an ad for Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> because they know I hate it. Okay, that's boring. I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. so boring. <laughs> am I right? Um, I think you should put somebody in charge of your feed. I don't think you should disable your account. I think you should give somebody else your sign-in credentials. And then if you have any dates, just give it to the mas- the matchmaker. I'll hook you up. Say, like, I found somebody nice for you. Well. <laughs> it's going to be a surprise. I'm not close to that. I'm not open to it. But I did that once mm-hmm. the first time. I, to, be, to be clear, like, somebody online dating up. is something that I've never, I've only gone out one time. Three, two times. Three times. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I have an account. I look at it for a day or two. You got to get closer to the microphone there. I find I look at it for a day or two and then I just uh, am filled with hatred and self-loathing. So then I disable it. Right. That's what happens. But years ago I went on eHarmony. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was like a super right wing <laughs> Christian site. And my cousin and I had a secret deal with each other. Wait a minute. eHarmony is a right wing Christian site? Yeah. I think all kinds of people use it. Oh, okay. But it's like, it's, it's like a secret Christian by the cult. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and... This was years ago, I think, like before we knew about OK Cupid. So we had like seek, we had a secret pact for one month. We were going to do this. Yeah, and you get matches every day. Oh, yeah, it just sends you. You're like, hey, Ariane, you're doing great in life. Look at these 25 people in the metropolitan Toronto area who'd be a great match for you. And you're like, thank you. And does it keep track of the ones that you've rejected already? Yeah, it just handles things for you. Okay. So I let my friends handle that. Mm-hmm. Once I finally came clean that this was happening. After I had gone out on a date with a man, more like Tinkerbell. He was a tiny little lady man. (laughs) I could tell you the whole story another time. Um, It's too embarrassing for the internet? Oh, no. I've told it on stage before. It's just, I don't know if you want to hear that right now. 
Well, I, I'm intrigued now. I don't really know what a tiny little Tinkerbell man would be like. <laughs> exactly what you'd expect. I mean, now I gave it away. But in any case, he lied on his profile picture. He was an interesting person. Like, yeah. we had interesting conversations. He used to make documentaries like me. And, you know, there was, like, a lot of fun banter. Oh, documentary maker. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, I was exactly. You see, yeah. you'd be great at online dating. You're like, that's something I am interested in. Let's go on a date. I want to meet your Tinkerbell. Yeah, you can meet Tank. <laughs> She's sweet. Um, And we meet in Trinity Bellwoods Park. And he shows up and he's, his head arrives right at breast level. Aw. He is little. Little guy, which I'm not opposed to. Like, I've, I mean, that's really little. So it just didn't make me feel good. Like, it was, I was just like, oh, I could lift you. And I could hardly lift, like, my <laughs> purse. You know what I mean? You want whiskey? I really do. Yeah. I'm talking about a sweet little tank. Thank you. That's three fingers. No, yeah, it's quite a bit. <laughs> Anyways, Tank and I walked around. I'm like, maybe I'll make a new friend, you know? And we walked around the park, and he confessed to being very nervous. He's like, can we just please go get a drink? So we went to the bar. It was the middle of the day. Cheers to Tank. Um, we go into the bar. It was still winter. So he had a big coat on. Yeah. And he takes off his coat. And to... he was even smaller under the coat. <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> That's how science works. And he takes off his coat to go to the washroom. And he's wearing um, a lady's blouse. But Aww. not like a button-up shirt. Uh-huh. Not like a pink button-up shirt or like something with embroidery or flowers. It was one of those crossover blouses that women wear to make their boobs look good. Okay. Are you familiar? Like a wrap dress, if you can picture that. Interesting. Um, but he doesn't have breasts. And it was purple and black. And it's normally with those shirts, there's like a little tie because it's like you wrap it around. Uh-huh. But his had like a silver clasp. Oh. It was a full ladies blouse but he wasn't owning like it would just seemed like the wrong shirt and i couldn't i was beside myself i was like <laughs> what's happening and again i've dated all kinds of dudes who dress really dumb did you ask him if he was secretly an android no <laughs> he went to the bathroom <laughs> and then the bartender said will you ladies be having anything to eat today mm. and i was like no we're just gonna get a drink and go and it was so it was my forte into people who lie on the internet yeah about everything. Right. I mean, no, he did make docs. He did make docs. And then he used his doc experience to try to craft the perfect online dating profile. I guess. To disappoint people. Correct. <laughs> what was Poor the guy. illusion? What kind of profile had he built up? It looked like, I mean, I think the stuff he had written was true. Yeah. But his picture looked like, um, like it would be like a hot cousin of his, maybe. Hmm. You know, it wasn't him. I went back and I was like, that's absolutely not your face. A hundred percent. And that's what makes me feel weird. I mean, I don't. And so the inverse of that could have happened that a tiny little Tinkerbell of a person is a profile I might just swipe left on. Mm -hmm. But maybe in real life, he's just like a total great guy and our pheromones are all kinds of crazy for each other. Right. I mean. I, to be clear, universe, I'm not looking for the Tinkerbell of man. <laughs> looking more of like a strapping tall. Whatever. I, we don't even talk about that. <laughs> I've had one sip, one sip of alcohol. But, you know, all is possible. It wasn't for me and Tank. Yeah. You want like a cage fighter or something. Exactly. You know me so well. Someone who's violent with his hands. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough for little guys. 
I was a little guy myself at one point. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the only positive side of it is that there's a little bit of encouragement to try to do push-ups mm. or try to get really, really good at some sort of art. Yeah. Because if you get, like, art superpowers, then that gives you a boost. Then you're super hot. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. There's all sorts of rock stars and stuff that aren't, you wouldn't look at them and say like, oh, Marilyn Manson, that's totally an alpha male, you know? No, she's she's creepy. He's skinny and and, uh, awkward and stuff, but because he's he's got musical prowess or whatever, you know, he still gets girls. Yes. Um, But it's not even about that. Like, you know, like, I think that's... And all roads lead to patriarchy, in my opinion. <laughs> but, you know, I am not an archetypally... Archety- archetypally? Is that a word? What it is it? now. You kind just coined really, it. Really two sips. Um, <laughs> not the archetype of a popularly attractive woman. It's still sometimes, like... It, it's just, That just doesn't... It, that plays into things all the time. Right. For little guys, big girls, curly hair, dark skin. Like, we're fucked any way you look at it. And hmm. so I think it's, there's a percentage, there's, there's percentages at work though. What do you mean? I mean, I think that, um, there's certain people like physically that could score with 90% of the population. They kind of hmm. transcend genre. They transcend taste. Like Kardashians. They're just, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Kind of. In that, in that kind of way, like you look at somebody and they're like, that is Superman. Right. You know? And um, th- there's other people, you know, like us that are uh, acquired tastes or whatever, yes. you know, we're special. Uh, they're like artisanal. Yeah, we're yeah. artisanal. We're artisanal. And uh, th- there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. And it's no. like you know, it, we, uh, so much of our of our um, I think if you look at the work of Charlie Kaufman, right, if you watch Adaptation, mm-hmm. if you watch Being John Malkovich, I think a big subtext a big theme in his work is the idea of the importance of grooming you know (laughs) because you take somebody like Nicolas Cage or he takes John Cusack or Cameron Diaz all of these like conventionally attractive people and he turns them into awkward losers yeah on purpose because the the theme of being John Malkovich is that you part of this this form is voluntary Mm -hmm. we choose to look the way that we do at some point yeah. And um, so we can't really have too much envy for different like archetypal people, because if we really wanted to be that way, we could make efforts to transform ourselves into that. It's it's just more comfortable to be this, whatever Who this you is. are. But the beauty secret power, of course, is to. For me, at least, it's not to aspire to look like somebody else. Style's one thing that's like fine mm-hmm. and playful and artful and all those things, but it's like the the swagger, like the internal mm. confidence and forgive the following new age phrase, but it's fucking self worth. Like it's mm-hmm. you know it. People look really hot when they feel good yeah, in totally. themselves and when they're happy. Mm-hmm. All the kinds of the people. Mm-hmm. You know, some of us walk through the world in different ways. Like, I remember being in my 20s in Montreal and getting hit on a bunch for the first time. And I was like, well, I don't understand. Yeah. I'm like, that's not for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's that blonde, thin bitch over there. Like, you, I think you have the wrong address. 
is how I felt. It was very, very strange. Of course, I was in like downtown Montreal at the just influx of massive Arab population. So I was more in my like target <laughs> audience yeah, range. Yeah, yeah. But that even that, I was just like, but you, yeah, this that's wrong. Yeah. But something was happening in me at that time where I was really developing self-confidence and I was happy and I was learning and I was having fun. I'm like, oh, fuck, that's the shit. Like, mm-hmm. that's what works. And the same thing would happen to me. Like, I remember years of of uh, of self-doubt and insecurity where, like, you look back at it now and you go, like, that person totally loved so you. So cute. Yeah, but you, totally. You, you, you blew it, right? Because you didn't believe that mm-hmm. it was even a possibility, you yeah. know? And, uh, yeah, I think that that's a... Uh, that's an aspect of, of maturing that's that's really interesting is that I think we get the most comfortable in our skin just as we start to lose control over that skin. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Or when it becomes less important somehow. You know, when it's less important, you can dress it better too. Yeah. You know, it has less value. It's the same thing with like dancing. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a good dancer to look hot when you're dancing. No. No, you have to be so happy that you're dancing. And I remember I was dating this guy once in Toronto, actually, and and he loved to fucking dance. He looked like a dummy, but I loved it. He, I mean, he looked great to me. He looked super great to me. And a friend of mine, in a, like, when I just started dating this dude, saw him at a dance party somewhere. Yeah. She called me the next day. She's like, you must... you." you must really like him because Buddy Dance is funny. And I was like, he dances great. He's fucking smiling the whole time. Put him in a music video. You know, that matters. I remember um, that was another big concern through high school and college is that it's almost like you're dating um, a collective sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. Because the, the influence that people's friends have over them is very, very strong. And you would always have to balance the politics of it. It's like you can't, it's not just about dating the one person. You got to make sure that the friends like you because right. they'll turn them against you yeah. over time if, if they don't. Yeah. So that's very stressful. Try for dating young people. in your 20s, living in like a spiritual Sufi community in the woods. <laughs> Old lady's got lots of opinions. You are dating the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was special because it was really like that. You were just. You're living there in a tiny little place and you get together with a dude and the next day everybody knows. It feels like there's like a little penny saver newspaper that comes out like city girl begins dating country boy. Community responds. How large is the dating pool? Oh, like six people. Six people. It was winter, man. Like, yeah. It was small. It's not a pool. It's like what happens when you turn the drain off and all the water goes into the drain and the sink is slightly wet. That's the dating pool in the Sufi community in upstate New York, circa the year 2000. So you've already dated that guy and that person you're related to. But then there's just like a couple other dudes. They're around. Yeah, you find them. And lo and behold, you fall in love. <laughs> That'd be a funny t- uh, Tinder exercise. <laughs> That'd be great. Each of the photos is just like, I'm around. Yeah. Huh? I can see you hey. <laughs> across the courtyard, to be clear. Yeah. I had a, one of my romances from uh, elementary school. Uh, I had like a love letter relationship with a girl in my class in grade five, right? Where I had a crush on her. And I was like, okay, how am I going to broach this, right? So I decided to like write her a note. 
right? Because I was very wary about the politics of the situation. I knew her friends didn't like me, yeah. but I thought she might like me. So oh. I wrote her a letter and I put it in her jacket of her coat. Good one. And then I just waited, right? A couple of days later, I got a letter back in my coat and went back and forth, back and forth. Fuck, tell right? me you have the letters. <laughs> oh, it's a... Uh, it was like very... I tried to be as honest as I could where um, I was just talking about like um, things, you know, I was doing in my life and stuff. You're in grade and, five? Yeah. Right. Well, you know, um, trying to express feelings. Yeah. Right? Which is super hard to do when you're in person because it's way too intense. Mm -hmm. And also because um, it's, it's like a public forum every time you do something in elementary school. Yes. I think I was trying to, to see if like I could punch through that barrier and like have a secret thing yeah. going on, if that was even possible at the time. And it kind of ended in a uh, disaster. Why? Because uh, I was in class one time and uh, I was trying to inch my way towards having a face-to-face -face kind of conversation. Oh. Yeah, what are you doing for lunch? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and one of her friends kind of piped in and mentioned something that I had written. And so it was kind of exposed that it was all being publicly aired. Oh, like God. everybody was reading the stuff. Sweet horror and humiliation. That's awful. And, uh, that, you know, I felt like a total laughingstock because I didn't, I started to be very confused because I felt like the content of the responses was genuine, but I started to get completely um, self-conscious because I was like, okay, was this written by committee two? And are they just like keeping up a ruse? Um, what's that, that, uh, that old story about the, the hot couple that like seduces the nerdy um, self-conscious. It's like a Shakespearean no. story. Dangerous liaisons. Oh yeah. That kind of dangerous liaisons uh -huh. kind of thing where they're like, oh, we tricked you into thinking that somebody liked you. That You're kind breaking of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever find out? If the, if uh, you know, I could probably message her now and go like, hey, what was the deal with that back in grade I've five? been waiting to ask you, <laughs> were your feelings for me real? <laughs> Tell me once and for all. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if it, it, it dealt with that, right? Like, it, we were, I was just kind you of just sharing. You were just being sweet with each other, it sounds like. I was just trying to be intimate with somebody, right? Because yeah. what am I going to do? Oh, um, God. Oh, you know, that's not the half of it. This happened, like, several more times. With her or other people? Other people. Because, like, rewind, right? When I was telling you about the girl that I put the, the hair gel, the colored hair gel in. Um, I you should go as that self for Halloween this year and bring <laughs> him back and own him and his romantic attempts. Oh man, um, I'd be unstoppable now. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the, the uh, so uh, uh, I remember when I was uh, for Valentine's Day um, back in grade four with Miriam. A lot of activity in elementary school. Oh, I, I was I was a, a hopeless romantic. So I knew that she didn't like me, but I really wanted to do something nice for her for Valentine's Day. Good God. So um, I planned this, uh, I orchestrated this plot where I was going to take um, an old uh, Valentine's chocolate box that my dad had given my mom. And it was kind of like expensive. Like it was a really nice box. And uh, I, I uh, had it smuggled in the basement of my house, right? Hidden in a little corner. And I did like uh, a hand-drawn card and stuff. And I bought like, you know, 
president's choice cookies or something cheap and i like loaded the thing up and i like wrapped it and i like uh, stole my mom's perfume and like sprayed it on and stuff like so it was a like a girly type of thing yeah. <laughs> and uh in the lead up to Valentine's Day, I figured out how to, I don't know if we had combination lockers at the time. I f somehow I figured out how to get into her locker and I dropped off this, this package real stealth. I think I took a back bathroom break or something so that it would be like totally ninja style. And uh, she found it and there was all this like mystery and- um, You didn't sign sewing, it? No. Was like sewing circles and stuff anonymous like who was the anonymous valentine right Whoa. and so for the day i got to like watch from afar while she Whoa. was very you're killing me <laughs> excited and happy about all these possibilities of these boys that she actually liked oh well because right I, I knew she didn't like me and she'd be disappointed if she found out that i did that so did you just do this because you wanted happy. her to be happy yeah, yeah, yeah and you were happy to see her happy. i was happy to see her happy <laughs> and then it was funny it went on for i want to watch that decade? in a movie so bad went on for a decade she had uh these other um you know rumor i think there was a number of people who took credit for it which i thought was funny like oh, all the boys amazing. that took credit for it and ended up uh dating her or whatever you know holding hands at recess you didn't know so. it you were creating the romantic commons back then yeah and then uh i remember later in high school like 10 years later or something I uh, I was out for coffee or whatever, and the story came up again, right? Yeah. And we were adults at the time or whatever, and they were all um, debating back and forth who it could have been. And I happened to be there in years rates. So I was like, oh, it was me. I did that. <laughs> she was there? Yeah. What'd she say? She said uh, she was kind of disappointed. <laughs> oh, whoa. So, yeah. I, I My instincts were, I was reading the situation correctly. No, that's beautiful, though. I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, that is... Well, that's real love. Yeah. That's actually real love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you want somebody to just be happy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it's also the work of, like, you know, we weren't compatible at all. She was correct in right. thinking that, that, uh, that we didn't fit. Um, I had, like, a very... Uh, surface level understanding mm -hmm. of the person that i had a crush on right right you know we didn't spend a lot of time together we didn't have a rapport mm -hmm. any of that it was kind of just you know you you they have a glow to them and right. you yeah. just like to be near them when they're talking about things and yeah know. oh god that story just <laughs> killed me that's beautiful i hope that everyone who's listening to this does that for someone this valentine's day yeah, it would be a good art prompt. It's really good. I mean, the only thing that I ever did for someone on Valentine's Day anonymously was also probably around grade four. And we had like um, tissue boxes on our that we decorated, you know, to collect all the Valentines. And my mom was insistent that I would write a Valentine to everybody in the class because it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. But I guess there was some trend where that wasn't happening. And I mm. knew that. And I knew that this one person would not get any Valentines. And it was totally fucking heartbreaking to me. And so I wrote him like a really good one. Anonymous also. The rest of them, of course, I marked them because I probably had like really cool Valentines or whatever. I don't know what I did. I remember a lot of like doilies and glitter. <laughs> well, there was a whole uh, 
project, I think. They let you have class time to design certain things. Oh my God, I should give Valentine's workshops. We should give Valentine's workshops mm -hmm. in elementary schools. Yeah, totally. That's an amazing idea. Yeah. You could tell kids about love and stuff. Yeah. Because they, they, there's all this debate about the sex ed side of it, right? Right. I wonder how much they even address... The connection kind of, intimacy and vulnerability emo yeah when it emotional comes to sex yeah emotional stuff no you don't know about that that is the shit that will dismantle patriarchy <laughs> for men yes because you're not allowed to like tell people things mm -hmm. about what you want and what feels safe and good it's actively discouraged by everyone isn't that insane i know oh by doing this you could have more pleasure <laughs> like that's what it leads to mm -hmm. that's what it leads to you get more pleasure when you say what you want yeah and you figure out more what you want if you say what you want and even somebody says no i don't want to give that well to alan you. moore would say that it's it's a it's a it's a deliberate cultural thing because you, when you corrupt the sexual impulse of young men especially you make them more militaristic that is so gross <laughs> yeah spooky eh? yeah no that's so awful. like you make them emotionally repressed and unable to you encourage them to be like stoic Killing and not machines. express their their feelings and then um it corrupts that intimacy and ends up funneling it into more militaristic stuff i have never felt sadder <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no i could see that that's horrible but we can buck the trend yeah man it's already begun. You don't find that the, the millennials are, are more uh, more with it than Absolutely, but Gen it X. depends on where they're from and how they were raised. Mm. I think that matters a lot. Like being in Toronto in this context and even just being living back here for the past five years, since I've been here, there's n new gender pronouns. There's new forms of being in relationship. There's new sexualities that were talked about now very openly that weren't five years ago it's like a really short amount of time and i feel like toronto is a really fun place to be because all of that is being explored and it's so open and it's so free to be able to explore all of the different parts of your gender and sexuality which is great mm -hmm. but that's still very new yeah so if you were raised like in backwoods new brunswick you're not hearing these things now even if you're there now even you know right. so it depends on where you're from and who you're talking to. And I also think what kind of love you received. I mean, I'm also just started reading this bell hooks book on love. Have you read that? No. Oh, it's really great. I mean, I'm only like 40 pages in, but I really like her a lot. And I was at the bookstore and I had two books, one that was about heartbreak, like treaties on heartbreak. I was like, that looks awesome. And then the other one was <laughs> bell hooks on like the culture of love and why we need more of it. I made the better choice. I put down the heartbreak book, but she's talking about, the first chapter is kind of rough because it's all about childhood and like mm -hmm. what love do you receive as a kid? What examples of love do you see? How is that value built in? And I think that actually does play a part in then how we choose to express Can you think that of, now. Is there an example? Can you think of an example? From her book? Yeah, from one of the archetypes. Well, she, I mean, she's writing first person, so it's yeah. sort of heartbreaking. She writes about um, not receiving love she received care but not love mm. and she really goes into sort of dissecting that and what that means and what that did to her as an adult so that care can look like love but it's not the same for instance um having food to eat right and being you know encouraged to go to school and being disciplined 
those things are care mm -hmm. but love is affection and love is being encouraged i mean this is my sort of interpretation i don't really remember because i read this chapter a little while ago but it was you know so one is material and the other is emotional yeah one's say? emotional and yeah. like encouraging a person to be who they're becoming in the world so if you have a young man in your house who is romantic and emotional and artistic and has all this expression in him like you were, I hope that you were just like encouraged if that was visible, maybe it was all happening internal or whatever, any other kid to be able to just like go for that and go and be that expressive person. And if you have like a little strong, emotional, verbal woman like me, like fucking encourage her to speak her voice, you know, yeah. like that's the love part. Right. I think. And that matters then in how we communicate with adults when we grow up. Yeah. I get, I, I have such a hard time with that. I hope that, that um, when I'm a parent, it'll, it'll be more obvious what the balance is mm. because like you care about somebody, right? Mm -hmm. You, it's so hard for me, even when I'm talking to my friends to navigate, like, when is it time to do the tough love thing where you're straight with them and say like, you're delusional about this. You need to get a job or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or the um, total support angle, like where people just expect that their parents are going to be their base. And mm -hmm. regardless of the choices you make, that person is just going to be like, yeah, we love you, honey. Get out right. there. And, and so it's such a, to me, it's such a weird thing to navigate. Like, can you have both at the same time? Is there, is it like a dance where you got to pick your moments or... I think so, and I think it depends. I think yeah. with parents and kids, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a parent, but you're, there's a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. With friends, you're on the same level. Right. So I'm horrible at giving tough love. Mm. I'm just, I, I don't, it's not every now and again. I can do it more with um, like job stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, come on, buddy, you got to get your shit together. You're extremely intelligent and you're, not focusing and you can make shit happen like more of like a i don't know there's probably some sporty analogy of like pumping someone up for the yeah ring. the kind of tony robbins yes tony Pep, robbins i was thinking more Pep like speech. a boxer coach oh okay thank you yeah i'd like to amend that <laughs> visual but a boxer i think it's called a boxing coach you can see how much i know about sports but <laughs> they exist yeah i have heard i don't really know i don't really believe in them but the tough love, like I have a couple friends who give me tough love and I really, really value that. Yeah. Because they're able to do that. And I fucking push back and I get defensive and I'm a total bitch of a person. But I also know that they're going to tell me something that maybe I'm not seeing. Right. Or maybe I am. Or maybe I don't need to see it and it's hard. And do you do you set that framework? Like, do you usually come to those people and say like, okay, what do I got to do? No, because some of them, This is time for you to be honest or... Every now you? and again. I usually do that in advance. I'm like... Coming up, I'm going to need you to tell me if I start to get real creepy or like I'm staying in my house too much. Like I'm going to need some tough love about I'm going to need you to kick my ass about my one So you're mindful show. about that. I try to be in advance, but when it happens in the moment and somebody's giving me tough love right then. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just be like, fuck you. You're horrible. Why don't you just support? I'm, I'm basically a horrible friend. <laughs> no, that's not true. I find the tough love. I, I appreciate it. And I need, it takes me a long time to digest it right. and sort of pick out like with any like spiritual teaching or something like I got to shake it out. Yeah. What works for me, what makes sense and what doesn't. But mostly it's because there's trust, mm -hmm. you know. And so I don't give a lot of tough love. I have really smart friends that I trust a lot. So about emotional things or relationship, I'm like, you're going to 
Like, I'll just listen. Right. And support you and love you. But I've always been able to have that role really, really easily. Like, I don't know. That was just built in. Probably because my parents fought a lot. It probably comes from somewhere down there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a weird thing because you know how um, when you're navigating, like, an emotional conversation, there's a way to not care enough and there's a way to care too much. And the middle path, you got to care just enough. Because the people who care too much, they can do just as much damage as somebody who doesn't care at all. That's right. It's called empathy, I think, is the middle way. Different than sympathy. Right. Like, I had a roommate once. God bless her. She's so amazing. We're still friends. But she was a very, very sympathetic person. So if I was upset about something and crying about something, she would start to cry. I'm mm. like, oh, honey, no. Now I've got to take care of you. Like, and eventually I had to tell her to sit her down and be like, that... I, it's very nice that you love me this much and I love you too, but the way you're supporting me is horrible. Like it's draining <laughs> me and you can't be so porous and fucking take my shit in. Right. I need you to just sit and listen. And that's like empathy where you can like be present with somebody, yeah, but you're not like taking their business in. You don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I mean, I used to do that all the time. Mm -hmm. Every time I read the news, I would like weep and it's just like, Lord, it's the early twenties. Yeah. 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 You got to learn how to turn things off a little bit. Yeah. Tune it out. Tune it out. And then just be present, man. Like, it's so nice to show up for someone who's in crisis and be able to hold space for them. And then also, like, not feel drained. Yeah. Life project. I, I find those situations so tough to navigate because um, I, I guess I have, like, a, a kind of warped sensibility when it comes to the 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 topics that people should be upset about yeah you know what i mean um like i remember having a conversation with my granddad and uh he was he was kind of he was dying and uh he was saying to me um he was asking me like whether i thought that there was life after death and i didn't know how to navigate it where like do you be sensitive to what a person who might be afraid of a transition that's going on um do you make up do you play to what you think they want to hear do you be honest in that situation um so the thing that i tried to do was uh i was really reflecting on what i actually think was going to happen right like mm -hmm. I, I was saying to him that um according to like neurobiology <laughs> right like when you do um, MRI scans on someone who is passing away, there's an incredible influx of like um, dimethyltryptamine in their brain. Um, you, you see like all of the neurons like firing at once. Mm. And the experience of that might be the traditional thing that people associate where your life flashes before your eyes and you have this like, kind of like infinite moment, right? And to me, that is something to look forward to. It's like, I hope that I get an opportunity to experience mm -hmm. that because it might be the craziest thing that ever happens to you. Like, you imagine missing your death, like you, it, it right. gets skipped or something, or yeah. we just get to do this for eternity. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh God. Um, or, th or that awful, um, you know, traditional belief that, like, people are going to hang out on clouds you That's know, lunacy. for <laughs> forever or, you know, uh, purgatory, purgatory, like that kind of void where you can kind of see things going on in the earth. It's all those things don't sound as interesting to me as just that 
scientific kind of approach where mm -hmm. maybe you get to have the whole thing replayed or whatever. Right. Um, so I talked to him about that and he seemed to think that that was pretty interesting. He was really high on morphine at the time. Right. So he was having a lot of like crazy sexual hallucinations already. Whoa. <laughs> Go Gramps. Get your transition on, man. It's funny, like they, they have debates every three or four years about doctor-assisted suicide. It's already here. Like, when you have a terminal illness, they give you so much goddamn That's morphine right. that you, it's essentially the same yeah. thing. It's just subtle. I mean, were you with him when he died? Uh, no, I missed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went home to sleep or whatever. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you, you went straight to, like, the heavy hitting, like, when to answer what's in your brain, what's in your heart, when to listen, like... It's, I mean, it sounds like you did just the right thing. Like, I felt the responsibility because, like, towards the end, I was spending a lot of time at his house helping with gardening and things. Mm -hmm. And I felt like he really um, enjoyed the opportunity to kind of uh, have a sounding board. Yeah. Like, he would ask me a lot of deep questions about, you know, what it's, what it's all about and stuff. And I, I had a lot of interest in him, too, because there are a link to a really crazy time. Yeah. Right? Like, they lived through the whole world going crazy in mm -hmm. the 1940s, mm -hmm. right? Like, a genocidal wave that swept across the entire planet and left a legacy of thermonuclear weapons that are still <laughs> right. on hair trigger alert. Mm -hmm. And yet, they still came back to North America and decided to build these little storybook houses and pretend like everything was right. normal. Yeah. Super weird. Um, but it sounds like he also asked you for a reason. Like, he wanted your answer. Yeah. You know? Like, that mean that's, like, something to remember when you're in relationship with somebody. Mm -hmm. Like, they're asking you because they want to know what you have to say, even if he's drugged up. Like, right. he knew probably what was up. Like, I've been around a lot of people at the end of their life and with them while they're dying because they, you know, used to work as a chaplain. Mm -hmm. And they're, they were asking me questions like that, but my response had to be different. Right. You know, because it wasn't a personal relationship. It was like an intimate one, but it's a really strange thing. Like You're that's representative a, of a tradition? No, I was, of? no, I was just representing them right. in those moments. You know, unless they specifically asked me like for something religious, mm -hmm. but mostly at the end of the people's lives there, at least they just wanted somebody to like hold the space for their family. They didn't care what was happening. They, it was like for family too. Yeah. And it's a really bizarre experience to be asked those deep questions when you don't have a personal intimacy or knowledge with somebody. So that activates like a whole other part of listening mm -hmm. and presence that is, it's it's available. Like, so do you, is the instinct to flip it back and, and, and try to find where they're coming from a little bit before you answer or? Yeah, absolutely. Like, the, I felt like my job was to, like, draw out in them the answers that they wanted questions to. Right. Look, I don't fucking know. Like, <laughs> I'm just 26 years old. Like, even if you're, you don't know a lot of these things, but it's just support. Like, that's all it is. It's like when you meet a nice person on the bus, you know? That's what kind of what a chaplain is. You're just like, oh, I was having a hard day. And this nice person just sat next to me, and it felt nice to yeah. be in company. That's all. You know, and then you're also with people when they die, which is like a total fucking trip and a half. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. I mean, wild. Yeah, sublime. It's sublime. It was like a real honor, actually. I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. That you, you know, 
And they didn't care who I was. Sometimes they did. Like, sometimes it was patients that I developed relationship, relationships with over time. Yeah. And their families and stuff. And that was really different. But it's awesome. Like you said, like, I hope it's something we don't miss. Mm-hmm. You know, where there's so much fear around it. We don't talk about death ever. We're petrified of it. But also, I think that, I think we're petrified because we're also really curious. And if we're curious, does that mean... Like, the gods are listening, and I'm going to die tomorrow and grant my wish, you know? (laughs) Yeah. There's not a lot of space to be curious and inquiring about things that are higher than ourselves that don't have to do with science. Totally. We don't have a lot of that. So sometimes I try and talk about that on stage of storytelling. Like, my sometimes prayerful life and you can feel the whole room just like tense up they're like you we hate you don't tell us that about yourself that you prayed that you get so uncomfortable i don't to me you know i'm not religious uh but Mm -hmm. i and because of that i guess i see like a a really strong parallel between something like meditation and prayer you know and to the point where it's it's I don't understand the, I think what, what, what is, um, I think that the aspect that I think is sad about the modern, like kind of neoliberal culture is that religion is an artifact of a time when artists used to be the center of it all. It's, it's Mm. an artifact of the time when artists used to rule the world. I never think about it like that. And I feel like it's a shame when art kids throw it over their shoulder mm-hmm. because they're missing out on a lot of like um, helpful tools, I think mm-hmm. for understanding consciousness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's an artifact from a time when all people had was their consciousness and they were very careful to meditate on the aspects of it that they were observing. Mm-hmm. What is it in people that leads to inspiration what is it in people that leads to murder? Right. What is it in people? What are these emotions that are mm-hmm. churning inside of us that, and we've all felt it, right? Mm-hmm. Like when something comes over you and you, you're just like possessed by this feeling that's making you say things that you don't mean mm-hmm. and is making you controlling your behavior, that does feel like a demon is like crept sure. up inside you. That, and you, and uh, ironically, it can be like pushed out again with, with certain like kind of, um, psychological techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely feel like there's there's room for a lot of these old school lessons to be repackaged yeah. in like modern new terms just need to be put on it to allow people to be able to consume it again in a way that's not um, so heavy with baggage. Yeah, and threatening and homophobic and like mm-hmm. super violent and all this other shit, you know, that we have attached to religion. I really understand why people hate religion. I do too a lot of the time. So when I say prayer, it's also meditation. It's also whatever. It's like there's a a willingness to step outside of the mind. Yeah. For a minute. You know? And notice something magical. For me, that's what it is. For somebody else, it might be really scientific. Like you're... You really seem to understand like science and the mind and you're very logical and you have this particular kind of intelligence, which I don't share, but we might be having the same experience. Yeah. I might call it magic and you might call it something else. You know, there's and that is I I miss that. And that's what I miss about like being steeped in spiritual study. And like we were talking at the beginning of the conversation, I had all this time to talk about all this esoteric bullshit and feelings and how things feel and my 
self and noticing and nature and all this shit. And man, was it fucking fun. <laughs> you know, we don't take the time to do it so much because we're afraid it'll make us not cool or not logical or not sound, I think. And it becomes more private. Right. As we post pictures of our cars and babies on the internet. That's dumb. <laughs> have you got into, uh, have you studied any of like the pagan mysticism type of stuff? A little bit. In college I did. I mean, mm -hmm. I studied, I took a really great course on like goddesses and paganism. I was really into that. Um, but I studied a lot of mysticism. Like that was what I studied when I was living with the Sufis. It was like all the mystical threads, mostly of like the Abrahamic faiths that I was really interested in. And yeah. I got really into like deep into mystical poetry. Yeah. Like, and especially the female writers yeah. who were just like so subversive, like St. Teresa of Avila. Have you ever read her poems? No. no. I'm going to find this one. She writes about masturbation. Basically, she's masturbating to the idea of God, who is her like chosen husband. And it's super hot and super weird. And she's writing this way back when. And I'm like, and this is like the mystical poetry that was revered. And I'm like, that is so bizarre and awesome but yeah. this idea of like wedding god that stuff i can really get into like i'm not really down with that but the female mystical poets and some of the other like sufi mystics like rumi and hafiz like the big ones they blew my mind like they gave permission to feel magic yeah so yeah that's how i studied mysticism more i thought uh it's really interesting to see the evolution of of protestantism and the kind of and, and even like the the popularity of like early Christian church, right? Mm -hmm. How you had at first a wave of adoption where they tried to assimilate a lot of the pagan traditions to get everybody in the fold. Mm -hmm. And then a second wave of like negative stuff where the people who were still outliers, they yep. became the enemies. Mm -hmm. And you needed to like give people permission to like hang women who are, who might be witches or just right. accused of being witches. And it's so sad lo looking over that stuff. I have very surface level understanding of it, but it seemed like an attack on women directly, right? Where you were getting rid of a lot of things that had a very balanced and, and sometimes like slanted towards feminism mm -hmm. and goddesses and all that kind of stuff. And you were sweeping that all away. Absolutely. Deliberate attacks on, on those communities. Absolutely. And that's not a time period I know that much about, but any reading of that like how could you see it another way it felt so deliberate i mean and that notion of like tempting people mm. with the pagan things that are familiar to them and then discarding the rest that are still like quote-unquote outliers that's that's the reason why judaism exists like right. judaism only exists because christianity came into form because they started canonizing um these writings and Paul like got his thing on and started making this canon. And that's why Judaism had to exist. Because they're like, shit, we're, we're all kind of doing the same thing. And there's this Jesus guy and that's fine. But then the Jews had to like come together and canonize their books. In oh, okay. To so it used to just be tradition kind of um, loose. And once in response to the, the Christians trying to... Uh, industrialize it and put it to paper and make it all so, organized yeah. there was an imitation of that where if my 15 years ago study is correct <laughs> yes that would be the exact history of how judaism developed <laughs> you can quote me on it 
No, but I'm pretty sure that's how it went. And that makes sense, right? Like they, and the, and I you, I studied Christianity really intensively. I got really into it yeah. when I started doing religious studies because I was just fascinated. I'm mm-hmm. like, you, you eat the God mm-hmm. and you drink the blood. Yeah. That's insanity right. to me. And so awesome. And then the mystical parts of Christianity were really interesting. And, I, and all the representation. Like, you're so allowed. Does it, like, when you familiarize with your story, familiarize yourself with the story, mm. is it, does it become obvious to you which parts of it are based on fact and which parts of it were added from other influences? Absolutely. Because you look at, uh, like, the story of, of, of Jesus, mm-hmm. for instance, right? The stuff that makes logical sense is that there was a, a, a leadership movement among the poor <laughs> yeah. who were advocating anti-materialism because it's all they had. Right. They had no power. They had no money. Yeah. And so they made a God that was about having no power, no money, and how like that can be a liberating feeling because you are free to just experience consciousness at its purest level. You don't have to be distracted by things like money and ego. Right? And um, the Christ figure, his main story is about rebuking the blood feuds that Mm -hmm. were going on for thousands of years where families would fight one another Mm -hmm. to the death generation after generation by saying, like, the buck has to stop here. Eventually, somebody has to say, like, you're forgiven. I'm not going to kill you, and Mm -hmm. you're not going to kill my kids because of that. And so uh, that becomes, like his main political objective, right? And what better way to demonstrate that lesson <laughs> yeah. than to be tortured and murdered by authority figures for no reason and have that be the, the penultimate example of, like, forgiveness, where you go, like, I'm a poor guy, I didn't do anything wrong, I was tortured and murdered by the authorities, and I'm still going to forgive them. Right. That's all you need from that story, is that there once upon a time was a guy who forgave people so well that, like, even when he was killed by the authorities for no reason, he forgave them, right? All of the other stuff about, like, consuming the body and mm-hmm. the resurrection, all of these things, I feel like, they, they're coming from pagan influences. Yeah, they're yeah. coming from, like, somebody who's having sacrifices and stuff wants to see a little bit of a reflection of that in the story. So they go like, oh yeah, Jesus did some of that too. Mm-hmm. He, he, he drank the, the wine and ate bread, but that was really his body and the blood. And so you can still do the sacrifice thing, but do it under his name. You right. Know? Um, and even like aspects of it where you have this whole idea that there's an afterlife and a resurrection. These are like coming from influences where you had pagan people that were saying like, yeah, but you know, Zeus has this power to resurrect the dead and all that. Like what's Jesus got? He's like, Oh, Jesus did some of that too. He like resurrected the yeah, dead yeah. and he can multiply things and make food appear. And you're like, Oh, he can make food appear. Ah, oh, I get that. That's, that's cool. That's a cool superpower. Yeah. And it replicates snowballs over time and you get these amalgam gods. Amalgam gods. I mean, that's awesome. I have never, I mean the latter part of what you said, yes, that I've thought about that and I've, read about that but the first part was excellent and that in itself should be a wonderful little paper that you write oh i'll just i'll just take that clip and then we'll add some visuals put it on youtube and done no that's great like this i was just picturing him at occupy you know (laughs) like i was picturing him as this political like modern day martyr martyr yes you know and like suicide bomber all that stuff like there's an interesting like narrative thread there 
for me. And you said, that's all you need from the story. And I'm like, well, that's all you need from the story, <laughs> which is great. And I yeah. think that's part of the point. Like what I needed was something different. It was much more about him as peacemaker, like this right. magical realism, this, um, and what's mi- like your question of like what's missing or what was added, man, like that's so much fun to think about. Mm-hmm. And so heartbreaking because you have like misogynist Joe also known as Paul, right? just putting the shit together and slashing women out of the same thing in the Hebrew Bible. Like mm-hmm. there's all of these voices that aren't there. And did you ever read um, Jose Saramago's The Gospel According to Jesus Christ? No. It's a really fun read. Hmm. So it's the whole New Testament, I think, minus Revelations, which is like the funnest book to read in my opinion. <laughs> and it's so sexy and demon-y. Psychedelic. And, yeah, it's super psychedelic. Mm-hmm. And Mary's like with stars and snakes and it's it's awesome. Todd would really like it, I think. <laughs> so metal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so metal. And what was I saying? We lost uh, the thread. We lost it. Forgive me, please. <laughs> like Jesus was forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were mentioning that uh, that book that was written. Yes. Yeah. Jose Saramago, because so he write he rewrites the whole New Testament. Yeah. And. I don't even know if there's any punctuation. It's just like oh, this yeah, one yeah. big brain dump. Right. And it's kind of like an Cormac McCarthy type of style. I don't know. I've never oh, okay. really read Cormac McCarthy, to tell you the truth. I oh, know. Okay. That's like really. He's good. He's that. dark. I know. That's probably why I haven't read it. <laughs> so Saramago takes the whole New Testament story and it reads like the Bible, except the details are different. Right. So you get to hear him sleeping with Mary Magdalene and you're like, Fucking thank you about Oh, he's time. a human. He's a human, and and but also magical, and it, yeah. it's a really great read. I should read it again, actually. Have you ever read the whole Bible? Uh, no, no. I I paged through it like several times when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'd be really interested to see like what my interpretation of it would be now. I felt like it was a very scattered <laughs> yes. book. It's it's bizarre. I want it'd be cool to go through an abridged Mm -hmm. Bible where people just kind of assemble all of the the best parts, like a a BuzzFeed list. Yeah, I remember a lot of so and so begat this, begat that, begat this, and I remember being surprised at the the gospel stuff where it was the same story over and over Mm -hmm. again, but like told by different people. Um, I, I I found that very strange. Had, in the had, kind of like unreliable na- narrator yes, type of way. But it's the book, <laughs> you know, it can do no wrong, which I, I always thought that was really funny too. Yeah. I didn't do well in Sunday school. I got to tell you. Did you go to like Christian Sunday class? I went pro- probably five times and then me. Like five single classes? Yeah. And then me and my brother and sister, we had a revolt right. against my mom where we were like, we think this place is creepy and we don't want to go anymore. <laughs> what did she say? She was like, I tried. Okay. Yeah. She, she, uh, she was always, she's kind of like vaguely spiritual. Like she doesn't go to church herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but she insists on like having prayers and stuff before meals on like holidays. That's nice. And every so often she'll like slip, slip, uh, slip me a book. That's like a new age Christianity type of thing where it's mm-hmm. like a neurologist's guide to the afterlife or Jesse likes science, the, yeah. <laughs> you know, the power and the justice or whatever about, you know, a bunch of kids that saw the Virgin Mary or whatever in a apple orchard back cool. in the seventies or, 
I want to um, read that one. Mm-hmm. Trippy. It's it's a weird kind of thing. Like, uh, and my her her relatives in the states uh, live in like rural Washington mm. and are kind of religious. But the aspects of it that I thought were interesting about um, them, they have like a a prepper culture. Like where I'd go down to the basement and they had the giant hundred gallon tubs of of water preparing for the apocalypse wow. you know and like the the heaps of like ramen noodles yeah. and like um ammunition Whoa. and uh, a shrine what and, was on the shrine i love shrines. yeah they had like a shrine with a with a mary a 50 percent um life like jesus christ crucified kind of thing like those those type of um hand-painted artifacts Icons? that have that weird spookiness to them when you see them in candlelight and you know like the the catholic kind of candles that you keep lit all the time in that kind of i have a couple of shrine stuff um and i remember i I felt really insecure when i was like around 11 that i hadn't been baptized in this context right that they were part of this special club that i didn't feel like i had access to so i remember bringing it up to my aunt where i was like so uh, so why wasn't I baptized if this is such an important kind of thing? And she was like, of course, yes. Oh, this, boy. this has to be rectified. Oh, boy. So she like called her buddy, who I guess was a semi-ordained minister, whatever it is, in, in those circles. Mm-hmm. Right? You know how that kind of like rural yeah. Protestant kind of thing? Sure. I don't know how it's structured. But he came down... And they did a baptism in, like, the basement in that creepy shrine area to, like, me and my brother and my sister. And uh, the holy water and all yeah. sorts of things. And it felt very, like, exorcism-y. Yeah. You know? In it was basement. intense. It wasn't even outdoors. Yeah, it was intense. And uh, I remember uh, later on, and uh, we had, like, food and stuff afterwards. And later on, my aunt was telling some, like, ghost stories. But these were, like, Christian ghost stories. Come on. <laughs> So it has a, a very unique kind of um, vibe to them, right? She was talking about how um, there was an encounter, like where uh, some one of her daughters was either listening to a, a record that she shouldn't have been or oh. doing something like a Ouija board or something. And later on in the night, the two of them were woken up by like this awful like growling noise in the house. And it was kind of like, she described it almost like Ghostbusters. Remember in Ghostbusters when that fucking like dog demon thing was like running down the hallway? There was just these like red eyes in the darkness and stuff. And the two of them like were swearing up and down that they both saw these like monsters and stuff in the shadows and totally freaked them out. Right. And then I was like, oh, what else have you guys encountered? And they told me um, my uncle was like this bow hunter. Like, so he spent a lot of time like out in the wilderness tracking caribou and, um, you know, you're, it's, it's a lonesome kind of thing. And you spend a lot of time hiking up like Mount Rainier. And according to their theories, volcanoes are conduits. They're direct channels down to hell. So you see a lot of spooky what? things. Really? Right? And they're really into like Native American mm-hmm. um, stuff too. And so they had like all these connections between like the Christian beliefs and old Native American legends about the spooky things that you would encounter on the sides of mountains. So like there was Sasquatch and mm-hmm. there was the Mothman and 
um, all sorts of other pantheon of like weird, unexplained kind of things. And so they were telling a, a story my uncle was about a friend of theirs that was hiking, um, tracking caribou on Mount Rainier. And he encountered like a Sasquatch, right? <laughs> that was several hundred meters or something away, right? <laughs> and they were, they were talking about how like it's common knowledge that like Sasquatch smells like sulfur, which is kind of a real thing. Like if you look online, there's a lot of anecdotes and stuff about Sasquatch's smelling of sulfur, yeah. having red eyes, and an uncanny ability of like deception and um, immaterialism. So, like, you'll be on the hunt, like, trying to track this, this animal, mm -hmm. and it'll just disappear and, like, leave no trace of it, right? And so their theory on it was that Sasquatch um, is, like, a, a demon, basically, that's mm -hmm. come up from the, the volcano and is haunting people in nice. weird ways. And I was like, boy, that's trippy. I wonder why that's not a more popular kind of thing that much like a ghost story, like this might be a manifestation of the imagination sure. or like people's psychic headspace. Like when they're going through this place, this primordial, it's like an echo of an older time or something. Or like the reverse. Why isn't the reverse popular? Mm. Like when you're super connected internally and then you see magical things. Mm. I guess because it's not scary, so it's not as fun. Yeah. But that volcano to hell thing is awesome, <laughs> and I've never heard of it. I yeah. just think of volcanoes as, like, scary earth rubies <laughs> that are going to explode. <laughs> but apparently they go straight to hell. That's what she told me. It's very literal. I mean, <laughs> come on. Wow. I definitely would be interested in hearing more Christian ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a Sasquatch or seen the demons because you've done something I wrong? looked for Sasquatch when I was out there. I was I was combing the riverbeds and picking up like tooth-shaped stones and trying to convince myself that like this is obviously evidence. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. I got to pee. Okay. You want to riff? By myself? Yeah. Well, I need a subject. You got a ghost story? No, but I have a reverse story. A re when I was in Turkey and I was chanting with all these Sufis and like like real hardcore like Turkish Sufis not like new age you know Sufi lights mystic lights um up here in North America and so I was in this Darga in Turkey in Istanbul and women and men were in the same room but women sat kind of separately um but everybody was chanting and I wasn't able to chant because I was so taken aback by what was happening in the space because these people pray fucking hard the women and men are pounding their fists to their chests. They're completely enraptured in this. There's one woman who's breastfeeding while chanting, like, and also kind of convulsing at the same time. And the baby's totally fine. There's kids that are sleeping. Like, everybody is going mental in this extremely ecstatic prayer space. And I'm just kind of watching what's happening. I can't even participate in the spiritual mania of it because it's so interesting like anthropologically so i'm watching all this go now and then these old men stand up off their stools and they're really going at it they look like a hundred billion years old and they're just like hopping around and one guy who's not that old takes a like a spear like a sword yeah and just begins to like pierce his own stomach with it jesus and they're all chanting and it's happening and he's just sort of piercing his stomach with it. It's, it's not like going in. It seems like it kind of is. And then he takes like a quite a thick, small sword or skewer. 
like a kebab skewer. Yeah. And he puts it through his cheek from the inside of his mouth going to the outside. And then he's just got this sword in his face and he's like pounding his heart and he's dancing around with a fucking spear in his face. And he's in such crazy ecstatic prayer. And I am just like wide eyed. I'm like, this is awesome. These people are really giving her (laughs) like they're really someplace else. And it was kind of scary, but completely safe all at the same time. And then, you know, and then suddenly this is, this, it's called Zikr, the Sufi chanting is called Zikr. Yeah. And then it ends. And I'm just like, oh, and then the babies wake up and the moms are there. Like, and everybody's just like super chill as if people weren't just having seizures. And then the man with the spear, I mean, the spear came out. He comes around and is serving tea. And nice. he's just like, hello. And he's happy. And he has just like a tiny little spot of blood. He's like, do you want tea? And I'm like, well, yeah, all right. Do you need some fucking tea, man? But it was wild. It was, I mean, I almost feel bad telling that story because it's like, I don't know. Yeah, and it's like religious glam porn for me. Mm. But it was, it was miraculous. Like, I wish, and it was also gratifying to see women in meditative states right. being so nuts and just like crying their eyes out. And everybody's just like, oh, yeah. That's what's up. And then everybody's just like eating some snacks. Yeah. And it was very validating. Yeah. You know, because here spirituality, especially new age spirituality, is very soft and very feminine and very proper and not very Arab at all. So for me, it just doesn't really no. work. No. But I, as, as somebody who's kind of open minded to the fact that like it might all be nonsense or it might yeah. have roots in something that's very important and very that we've kind of lost track of. Um, I think that it's easy for me to kind of assess um, the parts of it that like need to be revived and the parts of it we can kind of throw over sure. our shoulder. Cause I think that the creepy Christian and um, religious modern stuff that people have no time for it's, it's because it's like too much of the totalitarianism is like tainted it. You know what I mean? Um, or a lot it's of, just not relevant. It's not relevant or it's, it, there's something about like, if you look at something like Stalinism, mm-hmm. right? They, there's undertones in, in a lot of like the, the major religions that, that replicate that. Where yeah. The main tenant is obedience. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the main tenant is, is making sure that like we have a homogenous enough subculture that we can get everybody marching in the same direction so that we can be, um, we can we can point that towards objectives, whether it's military or, or whatever. And it seems like all the old traditions, like back when paganism was kind of the thing, it's like it, it's so easy to even think that like paganism was a thing. You know, mm-hmm. paganism is like uh, from a time when everybody just used to make up their own tribal cultures, and it was this big pantheon of like mm-hmm. religious literacy that was everywhere. It was it was it was a, a pantheon of cultures like all over the place. And the trying to, to eliminate paganism from the world was an aspect of like, how do we sweep away all of this homog- or uh, heterogeneous culture and make everything a monoculture? And, and I think, I, it's, I think yeah, now we can, we can, we have access to information enough that we can start cherry picking and saying like, you know what? I like that ritual. Yeah. We should try to do that ritual again. We'll get some psychedelic mushrooms. We'll yeah. <laughs> go to town. Um, and it can be, 
I think it's so interesting that like I've had so many religious experiences where I'm, you know, high as fuck and you're watching 2001 A Space Odyssey. Totally. Right? Because to me, it's about um, the experience. There's something about um, that that transcendence that you kind of feel, that exhilaration where you're doing something for the first time or for a, a fleeting moment, you kind of saw reality punctured. Yes. And it was just like said. kind of an exhilaration that was that you can't even put it into words, but it was, it was different than the normal experience of just like being a human and feeling like this separation between me and you mm-hmm. and the world and this, these expectations that the world is like pushing on. I feel like the, the times that I would experience, I would describe as being like religious or um, transcendental, mm-hmm. you know, um, they've been experiences where your ego dissolves and the barriers between you and me dissolve and you can kind of have the experience of what it must have been like to be a primordial human, like back on the savannah, yeah. where you just had like instinct mm-hmm. and life was very clear, right? You had to seek out food and pleasure and try to have a relationship with the other humans around you that would help you survive mm-hmm. the next day, you know? And it sounds I th- so good, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we want to organize everything. That's what happened after, you know? I think you're right about those like Stalinist tendencies. Like Judaism is really like that in a lot of ways. Mm. 613 religious obligations a man has. That's in order to do it Orthodox style. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lola, like humans (laughs) developed religion in that way Mm -hmm. to make sense of what you're talking about of that moment when the boundaries are gone and the yeah. barriers are gone and it feels so big and so scary, we needed something to collectively like harness mm-hmm. that spiritual energy. And then we just went really far with it and got super creepy. Right. And it takes away, I, in my opinion, at least it can take away the opportunity for that like barrierless moment. Mm-hmm. You know, not always. Like I think those people who I was with in Turkey, they were there. They were that was in their tradition. It was in their bloodline. And they were, most of them, I mean, from what I could observe, at least, they were goners. You don't just be sticking swords through yourself without some magic, you know? <laughs> like, nobody told them to do that. That was like, or for, in, my, in my knowledge, at least. But I think that's why I'm having such a flashback to my, like, religious studies 101, understanding religion at age 19. Did, uh, did your religious studies course ever... Um get into that territory where the psychedelic culture, the drug culture in the sixties was kind of another manifestation of that old tradition. Cause I mean, it, I studied that more actually like yeah. that came up more, uh, drugs and psychedelics and what that does to a mystic tradition mm-hmm. when I was studying with the Sufis, like there right. was like more talk of that, but it never really interested me all that much. So I never, like drugs never interested me. They mostly just petrified me and I could understand how somebody could have a very powerful uh, experience with psychedelics, but I pretty young had very powerful experiences with meditation that freaked the fuck out of me. 
like all like fucking twitchy in a bathtub somewhere, you know? And I was yeah. like, I think I'm set. So I didn't really want to know more. So my studies never took me there. And in like, you know, Concordian religious studies, there wasn't, we didn't talk about that. I w- but I was also doing like more Abrahamic, like yeah. old world kind of stuff. But that'd be a good course. This is interesting. This is interesting. I think that you need to do Shroom Fest with me in in August. Oh, what's that? <laughs> uh, Ari Shafir, the stand up comedian, founded um, uh, Holiday. I think it's August twelfth or so. Called Shroom Fest. Shroom Fest. Everybody's supposed to drop mushrooms and you just eat, you eat the you eat the mushrooms. You eat the mushrooms and you hang out with your buddies. Where is it? Uh, well, they go to the desert, but it's an internet thing, so people are encouraged to just do whatever, and they send in pictures or anecdotes or, you know, just be there in spirit. Can I attend your Shroom Fest <laughs> celebrations and not eat mushrooms? I think you owe it to yourself to have mushrooms at I, least once. Why? Because this is part of the of the of the religious uh, studies, I think. I think that a lot of, of um, these modern rituals yeah. are based in a, sure. a time period where psychedelic mushrooms used to be the thing. Right. Plant magic. It I'm down with the that. the Soma at the beginning. Yes. Um, so you are peer pressuring me to take drugs <laughs> based on my interest in religion. <laughs> yes. Because as, as far as you can get with meditation, there is something mind-blowing sure. about actual hallucinations where you feel sober, but you're looking to the side and saying, like, the world's gone to jello, right. or, like, everything is just so funny, or um, blank. What about you know? sex? Uh, you, I wouldn't... You can't really have sex on mushrooms. No, no, no. I'm not asking about having sex on mushrooms. I'm, like, have, like, a transcendental moment during sex, I think, is possible. Hmm. I'm trying to different. get out of doing mushrooms. <laughs> like, may I just have a lot of sex this August 12th? <laughs> it's different. It's a, it's a different. totally different thing. Um, <coughs> because you're not... It dissolves the ego to the point where right. you don't have it, an awareness of your genitals. <laughs> like, it's so strange when, uh, when you're high on mushrooms, you're, um, my penis feels like tofu, you know? It's just like your body is, is this, this thing. Spongy that is kind of there and not there and you don't really feel an attachment to it you kind of it helps you dissolve into the ether right and uh you get stranger ideas than mm-hmm. you would you might expect there's a it seems to to propagate ideas of fractal mm-hmm. nature where you start to see how something like the concept of this glass you know, when, when somebody says something profound to you and it can kind of reshape your worldview in an instant and you mm-hmm. go like, oh, obviously the answer is this is glasses. Like we should redesign the whole economy mm-hmm. on it. And it kind of replicates that for that. I find it like it has, um, it, it propagates ideas that, that kind of spread that way in mm. the way that a plant would. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sunshine feel nicer. It makes, I don't right. know. You got and you got to see the crazy visuals, right? You know, it, right. it's not like a dream, right? Where dreams kind of feel while you're in them, it, it, you can get confused into thinking that it's a real experience. But as soon as you wake up, you go like, "Oh well, dream reality kind of mm-hmm. doesn't feel like real reality. It doesn't have that the tactileness. No, um, very rarely. It doesn't have that kind of 
uh, flow that mm-hmm. the real moment does. Time kind of comes in and out. Characters morph from one another. Um, you get an, an experience that's as confusing and as strange as a dream, but you're awake for it. Right, bizarre. I don't know. I, I think that uh, it's it's something that everybody should do, I think, at least once. I, I don't think that uh, drugs are ever something that people should make a habit of, but right. it's definitely like, it's like dancing, you know? You got to try everything at least once in order to... Do you like dancing? Mm. So you, you, you're, you're kind of like... Um, how how um, how unfamiliar with you drink? I drink alcohol. Smoke pot. Yeah, every now and again. Smoke pot. Uh, ecstasy. You ever had ecstasy? You've just heard all the drugs I've ever done. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you should have at least one ecstasy trip. Oh my god, that no. The love drug. No, I have enough love. I know. Drug. You're already. You dig it the most. <laughs> it would be horrible. I was at a storytelling event recently. Like it was at someone's like private party. It was like the oh, hired help. Interesting. <laughs> it was a kind of like when celebrities decide to have Bon Jovi play for just the yes, exactly the sixty people at their birthday. That's exactly what it was like. It was very bizarre. I mean, the person whose party it was was really into it. She was very happy with the entertainment. And I was like, okay, that's fun. They were all like people from, I didn't, where were they from? Bruce Mao Designs. So they've never been to a storytelling wow. event. They don't know anything. And here's me and a couple other storytellers. It's like our schmoes in jeans, like showing up being like, yeah, sure. I'll tell a story to anybody. They were lovely. And it was, they were just all packed in this little room listening to our stories. And Dude, the, that's cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was interesting. What story did you tell? It was a really, there was like a really good spread. You know, they're fancy people. I told the, the theme that they asked us to tell on was stories of New York or leaving or going. It was a going away party for someone. Oh. So I told a story about this like bizarre encounter that was actually very sweet, but very comedic that I had in New York City um, many, many years ago when I was like 22. And I invited this guy I basically met in the forest to join me on my gallery tour in New York. And it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was, there was just, it was funny. I'll tell you the story another time. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's better. It's it's not a public story. Right. So that event wasn't being filmed. Right. So I had a different kind of license of what I was willing to say. Yeah. And anyways, it was a very fun evening. And afterwards, this is not a paid gig. Like, you don't get paid. You, you know. Oh, okay. No, no, no. It was just like, hey, do you want to come thought, do this? This is supposed to be the top dollar thing when, like, the celebrity invites you into their No, space. it was my, like you know humanitarian moment as all of my artistic endeavors Bruce now are. has money i know you should you should get your manager on on this yeah. could you be my manager someone <laughs> i wasn't offered dollars however i was offered at the end of the night my friend who had organized this said hey i have a whole pile of drugs for you downstairs and i was Whoa. like what not what i'm like there's a really beautiful like there's fresh figs over there there's a cheese platter like i don't need I'm like, oh, you're kidding. He's. I'm like, who does drug? Like, who does dr- pile of drugs? I don't know anything about this. He's like, you yeah, know, there's so much drugs. <laughs> like, he's like, you should stay and have some. I instantly felt like I was in grade nine again. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't. Well, I don't want to do drugs. Mm. <laughs> he's like, but it's some. I don't know. Maybe it's MDMA or something. I don't know anything about mm-hmm. drugs. He's like, but you'll feel the best you've ever felt. Mm-hmm. And that just freaks me out. Ooh, too intense. No, I am a pleasure seeker above all else. Yeah. However, I don't want to feel the best I've ever felt with the drugs. Oh, because it'll be a crutch. 
well, then what if I, I, mean, I feel so good a lot of the time. Yeah. Like I seek out pleasure. I experience it. I feel like pleasure is my religion above the other things. Mm-hmm. But why would I want to take this other thing that would make me feel the best I've ever felt? You don't need it. It just, I don't need it. Um, it sounds like then the day after would be very sad. Yeah, it is. I mean, not, not if you take a, a couple of preparations. Um, apparently, chicken eggs help rebuild your serotonin levels. Like eggs? Like normal eggs? Yeah, like regular eggs. Like eggs and toast? Yeah, so on your, <laughs> on your way down, like you got to have like three eggs or whatever. Like a greasy spoon type of breakfast. And that helps Interesting. level out the thing. Um, there's a whole community like of of people online that'll tell you the best ways to navigate around having hangovers and stuff because people who go to raves right right you know mdma is is the the main thing right um because it makes you uninhibited right and i think that it's it's also it would be interesting i think to you from a point of view of someone who's done um, been in uh, situations where you've done emotional therapy. Mm-hmm. It's a very useful tool for people to connect with their friends, right? Like the thing that you find yourself doing when you're on MDMA is like you'll go to your buddy or whatever and you'll just tell them that you love them and that you really appreciate all the stuff. Things that like would feel awkward or weird. <laughs> and I do that all the time. Among, among, yeah, <laughs> but just... you can imagine like two guy friends, right? Right, uh, who've been programmed not to express themselves that way. Programmed not to express mm-hmm. themselves that way. It dissolves that, right? And no, you, it feels awesome. feels yeah. really, really good. And you, you, you yeah. feel really good hugging people and stuff. And um, I, I don't think I'd be able to have sex on NBMA because it would just be way too intense. Right. Because like just... Just touching somebody is is intense. It feels and so wonderful. Just making eye contact mm-hmm. is is way easier. You know how like eye contact can kind of be an intense mm-hmm. thing, especially with people you don't really know. Sure. Um, you can make the you can make eye contact with somebody and not have any pretense that you're trying to fight them or you're trying to have sex with them. It's right. just like I'm seeing you, human. Witness. Witness <laughs> our <laughs> souls coming together in this moment. Um, I don't know. I, I can't believe you wouldn't be curious about it. I, I is it is there aspects of it that are just seem like, terrifying? Yeah. Since I was a teenager, like I also this is my friends. This is like her favorite tale of me because I'm so interested in hearing about people's drug experiences. Mm-hmm. Like I see the value in that. Like I see the experimentation, the safety, like the creating that community, that whatever it is, like that moment. Um of different kinds of permission that are helped along by plants. Like I see the power in that and that's awesome. I've never had the physical interest. Like I remember one time in college, I smoked this joint that I'm convinced had all kinds of other shit in it. Laced. Laced, man. Windex (laughs) was sprayed on that shit. Very stoned in the apartment. It was with two other friends. I remember sitting out. I remember sitting in like the little vestibule. Mm -hmm. My heart was pounding so hard i was so terrified i was so terrified that i was going to die and that then the hospital would my dad would be really disappointed because i died from doing drugs so i had that moment but after that that was fine like i could like now i could manage that i could like breathe through it and figure my shit out i was like 19 you know and did not have a lot of drug weed experience but then later in the evening my friends found me outside this was in montreal 
and I was um, there was this rock like in the little garden and I was petting it and I was and they came down they're like what the fuck man I'm like you guys there's a beaver <laughs> a beaver here on our block and I I am telling you I remember the moment of seeing this beaver and being like what a fucking gift like what are the chances there's no dam near here the river's pretty far from where we are and there's a I, I found a beaver on Jeroche <laughs> Avenue in Montreal. And they were just like, you fucking dummy, that's not a beaver. I'm like, uh, you guys, I'm pretty sure it's a beaver. And that's how that went. So, I mean, that was very fun. Yeah. But it was a hard night. <laughs> like I had the, the, a similar kind of thing happen. I didn't hallucinate any beavers, but I, I smoked you. a joint in, uh, in Sheridan at my friend's apartment. And I got this incredible tunnel vision where it was almost like the Millennium Falcon going into warp drive, you know, like all of these glowing light rays um, penetrated the room. And in the center of it, there was this head of a bald eagle. And I was kind of like melting into the couch and going like fixated on this thing. I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? Yeah, It's crazy. What does it mean? So that's not a hallucination. And then the light beams drifted back, and I realized I was looking at like his decorative plate that he had like mounted on the wall. I see. And uh, you know, it, these kind of intense like things from smoking weed. Usually, you haven't had, had enough water or something that day. Mm -hmm. um, but that is strange that you saw a beaver. I've never really seen anybody have like a visual hallucination. I've heard that people talk about hallucinations from pot i've never experienced anything like that yeah no it was a live beaver in my hands <laughs> in the city and so if that happens to me from smoking weed i don't need to know like i'm just on a not needing to know you want me to know dude you're probably a shaman you're probably gonna <laughs> like see all sorts of visitations from other dimensions and stuff yeah. you'll be able to bring us back the stories <laughs> oh, man i just want to like write and drink coffee and talk to you this is fun i don't know the priestess vibes maybe maybe please become, become the shaman you were born to be and thanks for listening yeah, <laughs> yeah no i could yeah i don't i don't disagree that that's possible <laughs> but i'm gonna need maybe can I, can I do it in like menopause yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, I think I want to try drugs in menopause. You know what? We'll we'll make a time capsule and we'll bury it in the yard. Yeah. And then you'll open it on twenty thirty or something. Yes. When it's time. Then I'll be ready. <laughs> and you'll find all these expired drugs in this pit. Yeah, and they'll either do nothing or they'll work awesome. I think that sounds good. I need to like I need to be more gray haired if mm. I'm gonna like be the messiah of our time <laughs> what do you think is going to happen when you're gray haired do you think you'll just be more jaded or something you'll... i hope not <laughs> no no that would be my goal not to be because it sounds like you were describing uh an anxiety that it would be too intense oh, so yeah. what's going to happen when you're old is it still going to be too intense no way, man hopefully like the work now laying the groundwork for like a fully fucking powerhouse Mm -hmm. of whatever it is I need to become. Right. You know, without the fear of holding back. Right. Yeah. You'll have a posture of, of strength 
and yeah. some sort of some sort of armor that you've forged over the years of being a human. Yeah, or maybe dissolved all of the armor because mm. it's perhaps not necessary. Hmm. Like if there's enough skill, then you can. I mean, Sufis talk about veils. That's a bit different because you can kind of pull those back, you know. So I think about that sometimes, like, oh, God, I'm talking to this person. I'm going to need a fucking, like, old school, heavy velvet curtain from, like, those period rooms at the museums. I need two layers of those. Yeah. But sometimes I can have, like, nothing or just, like, a thin chiffon. You know, think about it like that. Armor is, armor doesn't let anything in. It lets no light in and it lets no power out, you know. So you need something different Mm -hmm. if you're going to be a menopausal shaman woman Mm -hmm. right i like that metaphor i like that veil metaphor there's there's a kind of uh filter i need to put on whenever i'm going to talk to my friends that have like fascist tendencies or if you're going to talk to somebody who's like semi um you know that kind of canadian style fascism where Mm -hmm. they're just like slightly chauvinistic slightly um slightly closed off but their hairdresser's gay. Yeah. That kind of friend. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to you got to put a filter over them where you have to be extra patient with those people. You know what I mean? It's like when you're talking to a, a bad kid, mm-hmm. like a bully kid, and you go like this person needs some emotional work. Needs an emotional mm-hmm. workout in order to get them back on side. Yeah. Cuz I mean, I was talking to my friend uh Sun Yen on a podcast and she was talking about how uh you know, the, the, the instinct among like modern feminists to want to like fight, fight Mm -hmm. the old guard, you know, sweep away the, the, the old evils from the past. I was like, I don't know if I agree. Like, I feel like, um, the, the the people who are the most damaged, they don't respond to that kind of like Mm -hmm. offense. It makes them get worse. It makes them, um, it antagonizes Mm -hmm. those evil, um, tendencies that they have and, and stones it. It makes it steeled, you know? And I feel yeah. like... Yes. But the rage has to go somewhere. I know. Sometimes. So I agree with you. Like, I agree with you. I feel you like it's being I'm... a parent, though. Like, you know how, like, when the kid yes. is being bad or whatever, you got to be the adult in the situation and say... What the fuck is really going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, why are you insecure to the point where you're attacking all of these people that That's you have right. absolutely nothing in common with and don't affect your life at all? Like, right. what are you trying to fill? What hole are you trying to fill in you that makes you have this venom, you know? And yeah. how do you exercise that, you know? I think you, I mean, so, this is horrible, but I'm like kind of sleepy and just a little bit alcohol in my body. I'm like, I think you just have to wait for them to die. Not the children, <laughs> not the bad children, but to be clear. Those, that's a beautiful example. It's yeah. a good example because you're like, oh, you're stealing shit and you're being a bully. What is happening with you? Mm. Then you have that conversation. You start to pull out the emotions. You can unpack it. But like old fucking anti-abortion fascists. Ten years ago, I would have been like, yeah, that person really needs to be exactly like you said. They don't need to be yelled at. They need probably like some love or they need to be ignored. Mm-hmm. You know, their religious beliefs are so entrenched in them, which is probably based on fear. And okay, but am I going to change that by yelling at them? No. Am I going to change that by loving them? I'm not sure. Right. So at this moment in my day and in my life, I'm like best to. Well, no, I I have a lot of rage, rage blackouts around this shit lately. (laughs) Like, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe 
We're still this doing this thing. I can't. I'm still baffled at this bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm baffled by it. And for the first time, I think, in my adult life, I am considering, like, anger and violence in different ways. Like, all this Freddie Gray stuff has been really interesting to me that yeah. I, you know, where we're talking about violence in a different way. Yeah. And that is very unexpected mm-hmm. from this 20-something-year-old Sufi who went to Peace University and all this shit. Like, I... You know, my notions of, of peacemaking and nonviolence were challenged then and during my master's and they've it's really evolved. It's and one it, of the unexpected you know. aspects of the surveillance culture yes. that we didn't expect. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the fact that the kind of Orwellian 1984 nightmare would have a positive side in that, like, you can see and shed light on the, the violent mm-hmm. and unacceptable behavior of authority figures mm-hmm. and in a warped way try to push back against it right Right. and that we're yeah that we're seeing it all i hadn't thought about it in that way but yeah it's really quite scary Mm. we have more information about how much shitty stuff is happening yeah you know but i I mean also uh we're safer now than we have been in ten thousand years Mm -hmm. um i think these are this is the the early stages of what that what's going to bring about the healing right is is uh, as soon as something um can no longer be ignored as soon as it's addressed i think that stuff will start to change because yeah i don't i don't even think that the police officers are comfortable addressing a lot of this stuff i don't think so i think a lot of times um bad things would happen on the beat and it would be swept under the rug mm-hmm. and just, just like something we don't talk about you know, you're just doing your job, man. You know, there's a lot of bearing, bearing, bearing all the time. It's pretty scary. Yeah. And which is also about patriarchy. <laughs> this is my new tip. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any messages about patriarchy that you wanted to give out to it's, it's on your mind. Like what, what's been, what's been, uh, what have you been med- meditating on? This week, it's been a lot about um, thinking about, like, young boys, actually. Like, my little nephews and how they're so different in character, both of them. (laughs) And it's so wonderful and it's pretty celebrated and they're finding their way. And my friend's raising their young sons of just, like, having, you know, having having kids in their 30s, having dated a bunch of dudes... I've been like, I don't want my kid to turn out like those assholes. <laughs> Not talking about their the fathers, but like the dudes from their past. So just thinking about like how we're like shaping boys is kind of on my mind also. And honestly, since I did this solo storytelling show in January, and once I kind of realized what was happening in it, I was like, oh, it's basically just a single woman's response to patriarchy is what mm. that story was. And I realized it as I was performing it. I was like, that's all I kept saying. And the same thing here. It's not gone yet. Yeah. I have nothing really relevant, interesting, inspiring, or insightful to say, except that I'm just still in shock. Like, I just feel like there's a new shockwave of what's happening to me. Are you still just uh, analyzing, assessing the situation? Or have you figured out some sort of new path for how we can raise little boys different? Like, have you, have you been thinking about the remedy or is it just kind of meditations on both? I mean, there's some, there's one woman I know 
on Facebook who posts a lot about she's a great like feminist writer in the city. Um, and she posts a lot about what her son talks about. So there's like new rules of how you can talk to kids about gender and sex and identity and all those things. So I know moms who are like paving that way. They're making those rules, you know, mm-hmm. which is brilliant. And for me, it's also about like holding that and not being manic about it. Like when I see my nephews and I just want to shake them and just yell at them to like, you can be anything or love anyone. <laughs> like that, it, I, I try not to do that. Yeah. I try to just be like, hey, do you want to play this video game? Hey, do you want to go paint this picture? And just try and ease them into my like militant openness, you know? <laughs> but I don't know. No, I have no answer. I'm meditating a lot on it. And I'm trying to, um, for the men in my life, like friends, whatever, cousins, like just the men around me to like honor that they're also actually a part of the problem with patriarchy. Yeah. That it's not just us with these bodies. It's all of us who are trying to figure this out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm really interested in the idea of, um, how every person has a masculine and feminine side. And, uh, it's interesting to me, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that that's going on. That's not my dance. And I understand mm-hmm. that I'm not part of the conversation. Um, to me, I'm interested in, um, in my own self-reflection, understanding what parts of me are, are masculine, um, driven by the masculine side mm-hmm. and what parts of me are driven by the feminine side. What part of the, the feminine side in me would be more dominant in a different world without any kinds of like cultural expectations or ex, um, constraints? Mm-hmm. Like I remember always being really bummed out that I couldn't be a babysitter when I was a kid. Because I really liked hanging out with like younger kids and, and mentorship and and uh, and all that kind of stuff, but it just was un- It's not. It's uncommon for like guys to be- to get babysitting jobs. Right, it's just you're supposed to mow the so- lawn. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and those ki- you see little reflections of that all the way through. You know how uh, it's it's uh, it's funny. Like uh, I don't know. It's hard to put into words, but like every it aspect is. of, of uh, you know, p- uh, paternity leave versus maternity leave. Um, having um, an opportunity to do romantic things, having an opportunity to that kind of like camaraderie that you used to have among like um, soldiers, right, is, is something that's, that's much more awkward. Mm-hmm. In like the modern day, it's it's uh, for a while like through Generation X, it's 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 a lot more mild in the millennials and Generation Y. Mm-hmm. But the camaraderie among like guys was heavily frowned upon. It seemed like in the eighties, mm-hmm. everything became much more sports oriented where right. it was like you're part of your own little team, bro town, yeah. and we're against the world. And yeah. even like that kind of Sopranos ball bust thing, yeah, yeah. like among your friends where they're your buddies, but the way they show affection is by putting each other down mm-hmm. and calling each other a faggot. And like yep. all of these, you know, uh, camaraderie through attack and how like that steals you to go out into the world and be able to do that 
and be a person that's like above criticism and stuff. You know, all it doesn't these... prepare you well. <laughs> like it's too much pressure. Well, also you're supposed to be open to criticism, right? Like part right. of the reason why things are as fucked up as they are in the world is that we've 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 raised a lot of people who are really good at ignoring the pain of other people mm -hmm. really good at ignoring the um the criticism that other people might throw their way but also how learning else can you how be a to... republican in the states I, right I don't like know. you have yes. to be you have to have like really good blinders mm -hmm. and the ability to like com completely shut off someone who might be like throwing a lot of anguish at you it's the only way Mm -hmm. But it's also like the turning that part of yourself off and also we're not taught how to give and receive feedback mm -hmm. or emotions. Like it's all part of the same thing. So to give feedback in a way that is like caring and that somebody can learn from and that you're supporting them or you're giving them tough love in that moment you know like when you and i were part of that writing group there was times your feedback was often my favorite mm -hmm. because there was times that you would just be like this is lazy and you could do much better and here's how i think it could be better take it or leave it but that's amazing <laughs> nobody's gonna not a lot of people are gonna say that shit to me you know uh, yeah i'm a bit but of an android it. when it comes to stuff like no that. but you're not because i've had critical <laughs> feedback from other people men in particular someone recently and it was so um filled with projection his feedback for a right. piece of my work that was so much like he knew better what i could create instead of and not in a nice way like mm -hmm. in a I know more about this kind of culture than you. Oh. I think I know what you can do based on my own narcissism. Uh. And here you are in that moment of critique with me about in the writing group saying, tell me what else you can do because yeah. this wasn't hitting for me. Yeah. That is so different. It's, it's sort of like when we're talking about chaplaincy, the job is to pull something out of somebody. Mm. And that's what good critique does. It says, hey, like this... And somebody gave me a great critique of that same piece of this is of my solo show. And this comic who I really trust saw the show and she said, I really it was good and I enjoyed it. But I wanted you when you started to get emotional and started to give us vulnerability, you made a joke and took us out pretty quick. And I wanted you to stay in that more like that's great feedback. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, like so trying to figure out like your own style of how you would critique that. But are these like brosifs in the eighties <laughs> doing that? No, they're just like teen wolfing around yeah. trying to show each other up Yeah, because of the insecurity and the fear that they have no space to talk about. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, I, I, uh, I resonate with that. that because like my friend Winston said um, a similar thing to me um, a couple of years ago. Um, I was writing a screenplay for uh, something that I wanted to make into a feature film. And I sent it around to my friends and um, I did like an audio version of it. And um, he, he met, he, uh, he was talking to me about it and he was saying like, it's pretty good. He's like, uh, for the first time out, it's like not bad, you know, it's not embarrassing or anything like that. But the funny thing, he's like, I wish you know, I was watching your, your moth thing and your moth story. And I was like, after, after hearing that, I felt like I knew you better. You got like 
an, a window into a worldview mm-hmm. and you got a window uh, you got a for a brief time you got the the sense that somebody was being vulnerable or somebody was being really honest and just by default whenever anybody tells a story about their life you end up with a kind of like authenticity and originality that is really hard to fake mm-hmm. you know in fiction and he's like i wish it felt more like that mm-hmm. right and i it for like two years i was thinking on that how can a, can people like us who are interested in making things, Mm -hmm. how can we make artwork that taps into the vein of experience and background and worldview that we all kind of have in the most direct way? And I started thinking like the easiest way to kind of start that conversation or start that mining would be to do something like a podcast, right? Just get and start talking and see if you can, instead of like sitting down at a typewriter and trying to pull insights and, and try to, it's a very, it's a much more elegant way to like find those moments. I think to just um, have your your mouth running and having that connection between your brain, your subconscious and, uh, having that like that channel flow and then mm-hmm. seeing what comes out. And then I think it, it's so funny, like you stumble upon stories that you didn't even know were in your brain. You're yes. like, where did that come from? I don't know how, how I, how I forgot that that was a really intense thing that happened to me. Um, I'm starting to think like, this is the best medium to try to find those stories that, that resonate with you and that you, you care about. Yeah. Because I, I can imagine us taking like little segments from something like this. Sure. And then that's your movie. You just take that yeah. audio and then you add some interesting f- footage that kind of suits it. And you put it to the internet and that's the medium. Yeah. And, yeah, that's such an interesting approach. Because I think about that sometimes. Of, For me, it happens often on stage in the moment. like a, But it is that thing of like the alchemy between other humans that brings out more of that truth Mm -hmm. alone with my writing. Sometimes I can do that. Like if I'm in like a very good inspired moment, it just like comes out of my fingertips. It reads like shit, but it's very, very true. Yeah. But that's rare. Like that's rare when that happens. So how do we find those universal truths? Those, the, the things that make that moth story really good of yours is by, I think, Today, especially, I was thinking about it, like being less afraid mm. of being not, it's, I mean, it's really easy to say totally vulnerable or these words like that, that we use in storytelling all the time. It's more about uh, like facing the fear of becoming the person, mm. becoming the artist mm. that you know you actually can be. Like he's waiting there for you. Like you're there. He's there. And so you're just, like you said, kind of mining those pieces, like readying the space for him to just continue to emerge. Yeah. And I think that that can happen. And it does happen with other people. It doesn't happen, for me at least, in isolation. But there is a lot of fear of like, oh, all this creative power and all this fun and all this magic that you and I experienced that night when we both went on that stage for the first time of just like, oh, I'm just telling this story and there's this 
unexpected vulnerable piece and people are responding to that and then there's all this fucking weird energy going back and forth from the audience to some lone person on the stage like there's also the you can't always plan for it too yeah so i think that making fiction would be a like that's a really good challenge like how do you make fiction with that same um quality really I don't know if people like us can. I, I and, certainly can't. Yeah. And I, I think that it's it's going to quickly become an old-fashioned type of of, uh, of um, genre, hmm. you know? Because I, I, I just think, objectively, like, when I think of the most powerful cinema stuff that I saw in the last three years, they're all documentary. Mm-hmm. They're all documentary. Like, the, uh, the Act of Killing documentary... Mm-hmm was the most kind of intense horror mm-hmm. that I experienced. Like, even though that movie isn't graphic, yeah, you're dealing with, like, such heavy subject matter. Like, the darkest parts of the human character mm-hmm. are experienced in that. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes something like Saw seem like a, something you watch when you're 12, you know? Like, that's such a sophomoric and, like, baby understanding of, mm-hmm. like, what horror is. What mm-hmm. horror is is... is, is the idea that like there are no boogeymen that we're all capable of being like terrible Nazi death squad leaders yeah. under the right circumstances when we let our own egos and our own, um, when we let our egos run amok and we stop seeing like the shared humanity, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm like so plagued by something I read on the internet last night. Yeah. Or t- this morning, I don't remember when. It was about this new horror film coming out. I don't know about horror films, and I don't watch them, and I hate <laughs> them. And I do watch documentaries. Yeah. What is this fucking called? Do you know this horrible series of three horror films that take place in a jail? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was so upset. I don't know why I read it. I like reading film reviews, and it was something like, most disturbing film of the year, and I clicked on it. And I just, sorry, I got very distracted. I don't even want to talk about it. I shouldn't have mentioned it. It's a horrible, like, prison leader who, like, it's a centipede. Of oh, yeah, the, the human centipede part three. Yeah. Gonna... Why does that exist on Earth? Can well, you understand? Can you, can you, can you, can you, I can't. Why? <laughs> who acts in it? Who films it? Who are the people that decide to make it? Why does that have to exist? Yeah. Why does that horror have to exist? Why yeah. do you have to put that? And then my nephew is on the internet and he's going to see it maybe. And I hate that. Because mm. what you're talking about, there's enough fucking horrible, terroristic, you know, horrible shit yeah. on the planet. We harm each other and then... <laughs> I just can't. I, Why does that exist? I think it's a it's a form of fantasy writing. Um, Anybody who's listened to this, please don't Google that movie, Human Centipede. <laughs> Human Centipede Part 3. Je crois pas, man. Another, another sip of this drink. <laughs> um, yeah, I was also going to say, um, when it comes to documentary stuff in the last couple of years, most surprising, artistic, funny... Uh, stuff exit through the gift shop is one of the best movies like ever mm. and it just come yeah. derived directly from stuff that's actually going on right. um so yeah i'm I'm trying to get more and more on side with it because like i come from a background of like music video stuff right so everybody's like my instinct is always towards like 
you need to be able to to make uh, paintings with uh, all sorts of psychedelic, unexpected type of things. These these artifices, these these weird um, contraptions that will like confuse and amaze yes, people. You're good at that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, it's like abstract art is is a, is a funny thing because you can use it as a hiding mechanism, right? Well, you can trick people. Yeah, people. It, it leads to like a headspace in me where I wander through the gallery and I kind of, I feel like this one note going through my head where it's like pleasantly confused. I'm just like, hmm, <laughs> that kind of thing. And all the way through Sheridan, I, I felt like that was the mood of art. I had to replicate and make stuff that led to that pleasant confusion in people where... It was stuff that didn't make you feel particularly like anything. You got that weird kind of confused headspace. And now I'm starting to feel like that's fucking bullshit, man. That's hiding. You know, tell people what you love. Tell people what you fucking hate. Mm -hmm. Avoid that fucking instinct where people are trying like not to be pretentious at all at all costs. You know, that's that's such an obnoxious like way to live where people um they they talk about guilty pleasures and they talk about um there there is no guilty pleasures right like these I are agree. things that people like right so just just uh, advocate it you know hollow notes is a fine band <laughs> i think they're go, a great band you can go to the hollow notes concert that's fine yes i am very sick of pretension my own pretension too you know like i'm like why do you even wh- where does that even come what do you care I think it all is just like ego chatter, superiority around taste, which is such garbage. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, and that worry where you're just like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, God, they're going to think I'm this. I, I should really say these other th- magic words that will make them think that I'm a sensible blank, 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 blank. And you yeah. go like, well, why do you have a preconception of what people think or are going to mm-hmm. interpret stuff that just happened to you? Well, yes, especially stuff that just happened to you. But, you know, there's an experience of being in literary Toronto, too, that is really interesting, especially when you're me. And so I'm sort of involved in that world or I am involved in that world as a storyteller and with raconteurs and stuff that puts me sometimes in the position, like I told you, at after school where I'm having this conversation and there's this like Ph.D. (laughs) fancy pants who's very chill, like he wasn't pretentious. He was totally chill, very smart. I've been reading his book slowly because the academia, she doesn't stick to my brain so easy, <laughs> but I'm enjoying it. And it has like a bit of pop culture in it so I can consume it. And I just feel like a bag of scrunchies up there next to him. <laughs> so dumb. All my references are just 90s pop culture. Yeah. And I'm like, is there any intelligence? Like, did, Have I developed any intelligence at all or am i just brought into speaking gigs as like a marionette court jester who says funny things and is self-deprecating and has like enough funny facial expressions that can like distract the crowd for a while like am i saying anything of value dude you had an anecdote of 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 somebody putting a sword into their belly that's crazy well that happened yeah (laughs) it happened to me so i don't well i mean i witnessed it but yeah it's i mean those moments of just like paralyzing self-doubt Especially in this scene when like the the young Toronto literary professionals are so well read and they're so cool and I'm just like I was on this panel once and they were asking all kinds of questions. I'm like, I clearly don't know what you're talking about because I haven't read that book. Yeah. 
Like, I haven't read it. It's overrated. Stop making me t- tell you that I haven't read that book. Yes, I bought Jonathan Franzen's Freedom. Yes, I tried to read it when I had the flu. And yes, I used it as a doorstop. I'm not reading that. It's too long. Let's be honest. <laughs> I couldn't. And I didn't have the guts to say that during the panel discussion. I was I, just like, mm-hmm, yes. I used to get that by, like, me and my friend Todd, uh, our friend Sarah, uh, whenever, her eyes would glaze over whenever we'd talk about, we'd nerd out about movies. Right. And she'd just be like, do you guys ever talk about anything that's real? <laughs> you know? It's all just, it's all just anecdotes about Robo-pop stuff you watched references. on television. Yeah. You know, do you have a life? Is there anything you you care about? Is there any, like, people, you know? Put you in your place, man. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's the other side of the coin, right? Like, there's people that have absolutely no knowledge about books and, mm-hmm. and literary kinds of things, but they know life. They got street smarts. Right. And stuff has happened to them. Because right. while you're in your room on your on your book or on your tinder or on your whatever (laughs) you know my friend nolan's down on parkdale like hanging out with the barflies right or working as a social worker or you know doing things Mm -hmm. interacting with people having experiences right not just having a virtual life you know yes Uh, i got street smarts well maybe (laughs) that's yet to be determined we're working on it we'll find my smarts in menopause we're going to find a balance one day i swear I swear it. We're going to work on it. All right, we should wrap up. Okay. Do you have any interest in like Twitter followers or anything like that? Yeah, or? sure. Why not? My Twitter <laughs> handle is Ariane Schaffer. I think that's it. And you can look at loveletterstoafriend.com because that's fun if you have love letters to submit. Those are all the things. Those are all the creative things. Mm-hmm. And then there's storytelling. But I'm have, working on a new website for that. Do you have a theme music? Do you have a theme song? Like for my personal self? Yeah, for your personal self theme song. Everybody gets a theme song. Oh. On the idea grave. Yeah, for this episode of my life, um, mostly because I've been talking about it a lot with my nephew, I think we're going to go with Jenny from the Block. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be fooled by the rocks that I got. It's hitting home right now. What's the deeper meaning? that i'm just really connected to my ancestral roots and they're part of me every day nice that's brilliant yeah okay good night everybody good night (laughs) thanks jesse an idea grave yay two hours 54 minutes holy shit chatterbox we've been talking for three hours time flies oh i'm so hungry I only ate half a sandwich today. That was so fun, man. We haven't spoken in a long time. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah. That was so fun, man. Now we're going to discover all our personal artistic selves. Does this happen every time you have a podcast? I feel like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean. Do you po- post the whole thing? Yeah. You just put it up there. Oh, yeah. There's, there's people who have art jobs like if you're rotoscoping you're going frame by frame on a video yes and you're okay that i'm just shoving these in my mouth yeah go for it and uh people just need nine hour blocks of podcast stuff to fill Mm -hmm. the the empty void 
Slither on Commento. Slither on Commento. And so you've got 650 episodes of Joe Rogan's podcast that you can kind of go through. And you've got right. um, giant amounts of like This American Life and, uh-huh. and all of that stuff. Uh, people need more though. They can't stop. They need more three hour podcasts. So are people and so listening? we might contribute. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's about 150. Awesome. So far, like it's just been twenty so fun. nine episodes so far. But you've done twenty nine episodes. Mm-hmm. I've listened to only a few of them. I must confess, it's fine. Do you love it? Well, I, I'm using it as a as a way of kind of figuring out what my voice is. You know, it's great because uh, I think yeah. that it's the easiest way to 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 write. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we completely avoided all of that mm-hmm. stall that happens. Like, when you wake up on Sunday morning, you go like, oh, I'm going to write for three hours, and I'm going to drip my, my fingers moving, and then I'm going to be... No, because we pro- it's like prompting each other the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And you amazing. just kind of let things flow, and you go... It's such a gift to me to have this conversation recorded. Like, it's... Mm. Yeah, that stuff about the... The shaman, you got me thinking... Take that one home for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. How much prep do you do for the the live stuff? Like, do you make an uh, an effort to try to lay out the beats of the no. story and no. the kind of like golden thread that's gonna go through it? No. Golden thread, yes. Yeah. I try to do that sometimes. Sometimes there are stories that are just like I've told my friends so many times that they're just in me. Because they've like entertained or hit home or been hard to tell. No, so I don't rehearse. And part of the project of doing the solo show was to learn how to rehearse. Hmm. Which I didn't really learn how to do. But I learned how to spend more time on stage and what that means and what it feels like. And I learned that I could engage with an audience for an hour. So that was really fun. Like, I had a fucking blast doing that. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of work to do on it still to make that thread a little bit clearer to understand my body on stage for that. Like, I just stood. Yeah. <laughs> I hardly moved. I would, yeah. like, reach for water, but I don't think I moved my feet once. And I was like, you could, they work. I felt like I was a bridesmaid, like, standing in one spot for the whole time. I'm, like, trying to shift my weight. Like, I was, there's certain things like that that I learned from, but. Uh, most comics. of it happens in the room. When yeah. I tried to rehearse the show the night before the show, Jesse, I started bawling. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is the saddest hour. Nobody wants to see it. This is so horrible. You have no gifts to the world. And everybody is going to hate you and you hate yourself. And this is a show of depression. Yeah. That Black Mirror kind of moment. Woo! People hate. It was dark. Reflection. It yeah. was dark. Um, I called a friend of mine who's a performance artist. I was like, please to aid. What's happening? With, what like, is this? Everybody feels that way. Yeah, well, actually, she said something so great. Yeah. She said that performance, whether you're doing true stories or an alter ego or whatever, is of service. Like, you're giving a service. And I heard that in, like, that old chaplaincy way, actually. It's not ego. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, serving. It's of service. It's like, I'm, I have this thing in me that can do this thing on stage. And that sometimes makes a connection with someone that's of service. Mm-hmm. And so it took the ego out and then I didn't care if I like succeeded or failed. And I was like, oh, it's a service project. It's a soup kitchen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it worked. I'm here for y'all. Yeah. 
You don't, and she also said there people aren't coming to watch you fail. No. I was like, all right. We're just coming to have a nice time. Yeah. I have to be. That was amazing. What a fun conversation. Holy shit. Ooh, I was having to stood up in three. Uh-oh. <laughs>